0: Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What?, the Comics and Pop Culture Podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I get intergalactic planetary, as we discuss Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers by Joe Casey, Nathan Fox, Jim Rugg, the Marvel movie Guardians of the Galaxy, Fortress of Solitude by Jonathan LeFemme, plus Terminal Heroes, The Devilers, Night World No. 1, The Spirit Archives by Will Eisner, Grayson No. 2, and much, much more. Show notes crafted with care are now available at WaitWhatPodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy and thank you for listening.
1: Jeff Lester!
0: Cram McMillan. Oh, Jeff, it's goodness. like
1: I was just talking to you. <laughs> that's that's Secret the kind of the psychic listeners. connection.
0: It's a psychic connection, <laughs> listeners. It's not. Don't listen to Grant. He doesn't. Yeah, exactly. That's how it's good not, our... Sequ-
1: it's not like we were literally just talking before no. we did this podcast. No. No. That's impossible. No. Jeff and I don't even... We don't even acknowledge each other's existence. It's true. Episodes. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Exactly. We're, we're like those uh professional comedian teams who are just like, don't even look at each other poorly. Or even Jay-Z and Beyonce, apparently, who... That's what... Here's the thing about the Jay-Z and Beyonce thing. First of all, I don't
1: quite believe it, but secondly, the amount of upset over the story in the first place was both heartening and kind of ludicrous.
0: Well, okay, so here's the thing that you, maybe you know this, but this is a thing that I learned the hard way, which is, um, I myself personally, Beyonce, I think, incredibly talented, I more or less... Like a couple of her songs, it's not, I'm not a fan. I wouldn't no, buy an I'm album. Like a couple
1: of her you're putting yourself out there, Jeff.
0: Right, exactly. Like I own I I can't do the dance. I don't know. I didn't put a ring on it. You know, all that sort of stuff. But Jay Z, not really my cup of tea. As far as uh, rapper, insanely absurdly talented rappers go, I was, I was not a fan. So. What I did not know and learned the hard way is when I was out in New York for a couple of weeks, and this was like two or three years ago, and staying in Brooklyn is bad-mouthing Jay-Z or Beyonce when you are anywhere in the New York area is a bit like shitting on the queen if you are like right next to the palace. You know what I mean? It is not done. People were just- I, I'd like to find
1: out, I think you'd probably be fine shitting on... Yeah. 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 I think uh, that'd be okay. Is
0: it? Is it people yeah. are right there are just like, all right, I, well, then this is bad. would be this like,
1: good it. on you.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, then this is the made up version that I always end up seeing where people are like, <gasps> you know, so basically not cool. So like the amount of like... I literally showed up at like a brunch with a variety of people and these are all, you know, hardened jaundiced New Yorker types. And they, this one person was literally holding the rest of the table wrapped about how they saw Beyonce get out for a slice of pizza in their neighborhood. You know what I mean? And it was. It was like she
1: eats pizza?
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean she eats pizza, (laughs) she eats pizza in our neighborhood.
1: But but she eats? I thought she just like saw sunlight and everything was perfect.
0: Yeah, right. Right. Well these people were like just between you and me. She eats. You know, she floats on a golden cloud. She it's doesn't like a, she actually didn't touch didn't actually, the sidewalk. She
1: didn't get out the car. The yeah. car just magically appeared and then unfolded like a lotus blossom, and Beyoncé showed up.
0: Yes, ex- exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly,
1: exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. So that sort of love for Beyoncé—they are unacknowledged royalty in this huge, definitive way. At least in my limited experience along the East Coast. <laughs> My God!
1: Yeah, you see, don't 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 say anything about Beyonce because you upset the dogs.
0: I was about to say the dogs are really on it too. So, a it's not surprising to me that people kind of lost their shit over the idea that they would be. Even though for me, I'm like, mm, eh, it's, mm, you know. Whatever, but they played here, their concert played. they had two nights here in San Francisco uh Tuesday and Wednesday night, and holy shit, Graham McMillan, The Tuesday night concert was the loudest thing I have ever heard. It was like someone was singing in my backyard, and I live miles and miles away from Pac Bell Park where this concert, this concert was so loud. I think it was rattling our windows. Like apparently there were noise complaints uh, like across the city. It was. I think people were complaining that they couldn't hear it louder. (laughs)
1: That that the beauty that is Beyonce and Jay-Z together did not fully enter their lives. And if it had just been slightly, slightly higher in volume that they would have been filled with beauty and grace.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Graham. That's... That, it's,
1: it's very possible.
0: Yes. it's Now, admittedly, that is all using the code word tinnitus. But, yeah, it, it does communicate that. Yeah. I agree. So, uh, anyway... So you're so you're just you just like goofing on people that you're not actually vested emotionally vested in Beyonce. No, inside. I'm not, and that that's actually what I was
1: surprised by. I was surprised by I like I said I, it was both heartening and and surprising, heartening in one sense because I like that people were just like, I don't want to hear this bullshit gossip about people.
0: Oh, is that is that it? Okay. Uh, well, that that also disheartening yes.
1: because people were like, <coughs> they might be like it might not be true love. I am like that has ruined my own romantic life for the rest of the world. Yes, do you know what I mean? Like that was amazing.
0: Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought you were responding to. The idea that people were actually like, "Come on, people, let let people ride an elevator in peace." I think is is essentially, I I can get behind that. For Christ's sakes. Uh,
1: I yeah. I I was just I was just yes stunned by the the. I, I, people really seem to be taking it personally. Right. In a way, that don't take gossip.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, God, yeah. yes. I really was like, wow, I... Uh, you know what, Graham? You are just kind of, and I mean this in a loving way, but just like a real... Manipulative asshole. I have to say, I am? yes, because nice. here's the thing, Why? listeners. We psych- psychically, let's get that straight. Graham and I psychically just spent uh, a, a number of psychic uh, correspondences <laughs> just... talking oh, about. Oh, I don't totally know what you're talking about. <laughs> we oh, were just yeah. talking about being psychically traumatized by someone well, else's that's, failed.
1: That's, that's totally true. You're yeah. completely right. You are completely right. See, that's why I'm well, like, in why our are in me? our defense, we've we've met
0: them. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. That is absolutely true.
1: Like we've met them and we've seen them together.
0: Seen them together,
1: as, as opposed to yeah. I don't know. I just But also, oh, here's the other thing. Yeah. Our psychic trauma about that couple splitting up mm-hmm. was more, oh, I didn't know it happened. That's really sad. As opposed to <laughs> the chaotic stuff, which was like, all love is fake. Okay. Do you know
0: what I mean? Well,
1: okay. Wait, wait, were you telling me that when we were having that psychic correspondence before, you were actually, like, reading into how that would impact your love life? Because you weren't, Jeff. No, I was not, no. No, not at That's all. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think it's a different thing to be like, um... Okay, but didn't you say, and by the way,
0: listeners, let's keep in mind that one of us just found about this only recently. The (laughs) other one knew. One of us might have known for months. Months and months. I I, thought he told you and didn't. You (laughs) You totally totally fucking did not tell me. And so, yes, there's a certain amount. Some of the psychic distress might have been me psychically blaming Graham. But so. uh, It was really
1: I honestly thought i told you i i clearly hadn't because you were you were genuinely
0: surprised by the news completely gobsmacked completely gobsmacked i could not i was i was like wait wait this this also we should really stop talking about this because like we're
1: talking in code about people and we're not going to name them and it's like a weird tease to play for <laughs> podcast listeners as well do you Joe know what i mean by JC and mort weisinger <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man they were an item oh. First so, of all,
1: yeah. like, you understand what I'm saying, right? Like, I totally see why
0: you brought it up, but I also am, like, we can't talk about it because that... Well, see, now it, I'm thinking we have to talk about it now. No! That's, is he, no I know you're trying to what? maneuver us into the situation no, I, I, where we no, have to I, talk I about it. I
1: think that we shouldn't talk about it because it is people, like, it's
0: it's a real relationship. And it, it, do you know what I mean? Like, it yeah. feels re- like I... No, I would be really uncomfortable if we... Yeah, listeners, I'm sorry. In theory, I'm not going to edit this out, which is just, I'm sure, just going to make you, like, grip your head in... Why shouldn't I edit it out? And the answer is I'm not exactly sure we're going to have enough material for a podcast anyway. So I'm going to lead (laughs) in this whole coded section. Plus, who knows, like maybe a couple of years down the road, we'll get incredibly jaundiced about the whole thing. Jaundice, clearly my word of the day and the word of the day calendar. And then we can introduce a new Patreon level where it's like – Will we actually tell people? Yeah, we'll actually tell people who we're talking about.
1: Oh, my God. That would be hilarious. Um, (laughs) But I'm going to say if you are leaving this in – Mm-hmm. That um, I think it shows how we have evolved as a podcast. Because in the past, we have talked about people's uh, personal lives willy-nilly mm-hmm. and with abandon. Yeah. Uh, much to the upset of other people. Yes. And honestly, like, these days to my upset as well. Like, I really regret that, that when we've done that. Oh, do you? Yeah, I really do. I, I, I think there's a... I have, I'm not... And I couldn't explain why I've come to this decision. Mm-hmm. But I think there's like a line that we shouldn't cross. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I, I, I'm not sure where that line is. Apart sure. from like genuine upset, right? Do you know it, what I mean? Like it, something that's like real life, and and I don't know. I can't explain it. But no. Yeah, I do, I do I do regret the, the times in the past. One sure. specific time that I think everyone knows about. Yes. That um that we did that. I, I really genuinely regret it.
0: Right. I which I, is why I, I'm putting the. the Right. blinders understood i'm like yeah, no yeah, yeah yeah you're dragging this one down okay fair enough fair enough do you not
1: do you not think that like there there, there is a point where you are you're you're doing the cheap policies and other people's misery thing
0: well i mean that's 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 <laughs> well that's of, I'm like, going to define thousand. my life graham really <laughs> i mean let's be honest you know it's time to go take a cheap holiday in my wife's life and take her out to dinner. Um No, 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 no. I, I think that uh I just, for me, it's, it's all matters of gradation, you know, like I just don't feel like un, unless you literally make it a point to not put yourself out there, I feel like, unfortunately, there are ways that people, that you are going to discuss it. Now, interestingly enough, one of the things that I've really appreciated over the last couple of weeks on Twitter that I kind of wish had been made clearer right off the bat is I've seen a couple of uh, creators, Jeff Parker's one and Mark Wade's another, who basically, literally said, if you are going to slag me or slag my work do on twitter do not include me in the conversation don't at me
1: oh yeah i've seen a, i've seen a number of people say that
0: and and that i think is to be fair in is is absolutely 100 percent concrete you know what i mean like and this is wait, this wait, weird like doing
1: that i feel is completely asshole Exactly. Because it's really like, I don't like you, and I'm making sure that you know that I don't like you. Ah, ha, ha.
0: Well, that's it. I mean, sometimes it's really dumb, like, oh, maybe they'll think I'm clever, and they'll retweet me, or whatever. You know what I mean? uh,
1: who would really think that? Do you know what I mean? Like, who really would be like, I'm going to take a piss in this person's work,
0: and they're going to retweet it? Well... Let me tell you. No, really. Genuinely. No, no, no. Seriously. A stupid people and B I think how do I put this? I I I've I've mentioned this before in the podcast, but one of the sort of seminal experiences in my life was working security for a 2-day comic book convention that ended up being kind of a <laughs> mass massive fiscal failure in which James Scotty Dewin
1: I wait, I remember the story and it is one of my favorite stories.
0: Is the guest of honor. And the one of the things that I found and, and it's I'm I'm not I'm sadly I'm like, oh shit, Graham's thinking of a different story. What I found was at the very least, people were so stupid in, in James Dewan's presence. And James Dewan, bless him, was well, he's moved on. I can now say blindly drunk that it was like just painful interactions. I understand. And believe me, I just understand how each of those people were. And it's like for those people, all I'm saying is, is that we like to think that celebrity of any kind is the sort of thing that we can basically navigate through. But frankly, it is amazing how even the most, um, Uh, If I flip the, I think the jaded was yesterday's word in the word of the day calendar as opposed to jaundice. The most jaded of us actually can just be rendered completely stupid by interacting with a celebrity. You know what I mean? And so, so all of which is to say, I think there are people who are like, oh my God, I wrote this thing and I'm going to send it to Mark Wade, And it's clearly this idea of like, this is going to be my attempt to charm them and I'm... 22 and completely stupid. And, you know, Mark Wade being Mark Wade, um, is bless his heart, like vaguely anger management. I think we can sort of uh, agree on, I think, you know, and he will, he'll flip out, you know, I had a situation where I was actually complaining about Dan slot and someone replied to me and included Dan slot on the reply
1: and oh, oh! I, I had a very similar situation recently where I was talking about Sandman and someone included Neil Gaiman. Oh, yeah, I saw part. that.
0: And you were like, come on, don't do that, man. That's, yeah, because that's a dick move. It's a dick move. Exactly. Exactly. And I have to, I really have to give Dan Slot credit I, or something. I think he replied or said something. And I said, look, I, I said, I'm really sorry. That was, this is not intended for your eyes or for you to... You know what I mean? Like it's just it's not. And he was he was awesome in terms of being like okay. You know what I mean? Even though it's that weird, like I'm very explicitly talking about you. You know? Maybe yeah, but, it's
1: but here's the thing, I think everyone kind of understands the sometimes you vent. hmm Do you know what I mean? 'Cause I I I I don't know Dan Slot from a hole in the ground. But I think even Dan Slot must on at some point be like Oh, you know, person X is just like that's just shitty. Right. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and and just unloading someone. So I think he'd understand that you're venting and it's not meant personally. I don't oh, yeah. know. Maybe not. No,
0: no, no. But see, well, exactly. You would think, but you don't necessarily know. And I and I'm so I'm saying it, one of the things that was interesting about it was I had like a lot more respect for Dan Slott. I'm st- I've still made some kind of really cheap shots at the man's expense. You know. Um but you know, part of your charm, yeah. But okay, and see, this is it. Trying, trying to, to like, see, you can't take apart my playpen, Graham. But I, I sort of feel like being raised as being raised, yeah. Like at the, you know, when my parents like gave me up for adoption to an uh, English major at like, you know, state college. Um, as as an English major, I was just like, if somebody creates something, the current school of thought is sort of the biographical approach to the creator, to understanding the work or whatever, you know. And so sometimes there's like shitty, snide, 21st century ways of saying that. But honestly, you know, person X, um, talking about person X, and I know that you regret it. I was very much like, A, we don't think Person X is ever going to hear this. B, we're certainly not going to, like, go around talking about all the the shitty things that we said about Person X, like, on our public media feeds, you know. And also, I'm no, like – No, but it's – okay. But I, I totally feel we were trying to talk about it also in connection with a creative work. And so I, – I, I agree.
1: Yeah. I, I do agree with that where I disagree is I don't think there's any real difference between talking about it on our social media feeds and talking about it on a podcast that is intended to be released to the public. Yes. Like it's one thing for the two of us to do it in email or through if you will psychic connections. Yes. But it's another to to do it in in a public area like this. And I agree that we were talking about it in connection with the work. Mhm. We totally were, Mm -hmm. Uh, which we weren't about this couple, by the way. Yes. And I think that's very cultural, actually, because if Uh, it was, um,
0: I would be more inclined to drag it out, honestly. And I mean, uh, unless you, I mean, you have clear stands about it, so I wouldn't.
1: We're we're not going to chat.
0: But (laughs) even so, is my point. Even so, like, I feel that,
1: uh, I guess I was too willing to... Uh, reads tea leaves that weren't necessarily there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh,
1: in a way that uh, I'm trying to think of a good way to put this in a way that my feelings towards the person colored my readings of the work.
0: Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I I feel that if I had felt differently about the person, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have read that into the work.
0: Right. Right. And so, so it's a, it's a feedback loop. Mm hmm. Mm hmm well but i and and my thing as you know is i'm very much like well let's be upfront about that which i sort of feel we were cuz god knows people called us on it you know um and and we're kind of like whoa 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 this is too far and it's like okay, okay but for me at the core of it part of me is like i sort of feel like that's still better than in the back of our heads we're kind of going you know, because I I do have those things. Like, actually, it's ironic. I always try to be upfront about the fact that a lot of Joe Casey's work hasn't connected with me, and frankly, I'm I still find some of his some of his earlier behavior um, on uh, I want to say social media, but it wasn't even social media um, was kind of uncool and something that he never really, when asked about, ever acknowledged. So part of me is kind of like, eh, you know, I think that's really necessary because to say that to people and hopefully, A, so they understand like, well, okay, he's going to make a cheap Joe Casey joke, but also it's probably going to color things when we turn around and start talking about, you know, this issue, this reboot of Captain Victory for Dynamite, you know?
1: I I feel that's a great segue.
0: Yeah, I think. Well, thank you, Graham. Thank you. So, yes, uh, that first issue of Captain Victory, (laughs) I have to say, I I had read your review of it, of course, um, which I thought was enjoyably non-spoilery. Uh, which I may well end I, up undoing I really, here. I
1: really, really, really tried to make... It. Well, here's the thing. I think spoilers are fine after the issue's been released. I was writing, like, a date before it came out.
0: Oh, that's true. That is true, yeah. So,
1: okay, so people look out. So I, I think we can utterly spoil it, especially because this will go up,
0: you know, on the Monday following its release. Yeah. I, I think spoilers are fine. Yes, which, oh, my God, if we were just doing segues, then we could talk about Guardians of the Galaxy, but let's come back to that. Uh, Captain Victory uh, and the Galactic Rangers was... I think one half to maybe two thirds smashing success. Like maybe like it was kind of like my favorite thing that Joe Casey has done or up there. Honestly, I feel like Joe Casey's kind of upped his game recently um, because I thought his his finale, his two issues that were sort of the finale of Godland were exceptionally good, you know. Um, so, okay, I want to know about your half to one third of it didn't work. So the first half where he is writing um, sort of a uh, – the, the storytelling is very modern uh, storytelling with a lot of um, narrative elements. There's a lot of narrative elements that uh, – challenge you to challenge you with the plasticity of it, if you know what I mean. It's like if you could even begin to find it an immersive narrative uh, where you're actually like, you know, it's not it's, it's not a naturalistic comic. Let's put it that way. Like you've got you know, oh, full it's, it's panel more, characters yeah. uh, you know, uh, of people and then huge entire blurbs where describing who they are. You've got, you know, Huge, you've got like panels that are captions that are things like, accept your fate burning in eternal darkness exclamation point. And I, it, a lot of it feels like things that Morrison has done in some of his other works, but, uh, but I would either, it's the sort of thing that I need slash want more of, or I feel like Casey has, does a better job in it here than in other times where I felt that he was kind of doing a sort of, um I don't want to say a, a more anemic style, but, you know, a style that seems sort of derivative. I feel like the first half of this book takes the a lot of the Jack Kirby-isms and especially sort of the tone of Kirby's captions and, like, pushes it as a... As an element that you are supposed to be very explicitly aware of, and it's supposedly I think serving the narrative as one half um just sort of aesthetic pleasure and potentially plugged into kind of a deeper uh, message or thematic resonance with the work right so yeah I mean
1: I, I feel that the the uh Kirby isms of the narration in the first it like really the first third mm-hmm. um is almost to ground the reader in that hyper reality. Yes. Yeah. Um and so and it and it does. I mean the the I called it out in the review, but the part where it's like war can often breed sudden tragedy as Captain Victory pays the ultimate price, exclamation points. Yes. And yet this is where it all begins reads Barry Kirby. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and does ground you in the the traditional world that Casey then immediately after that deconstructs, like it, it, the next page, he starts to take all that apart.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Uh, and so I think it's very successful in doing that. Um, what's interesting for me is while Casey is, I think, doing a very successful job of setting up the Kirby-isms mm-hmm. uh, of that, I think Nathan Fox is completely deconstructing them on the same yes. pages. Right.
0: Right. And I think, and so I think that does lead to a, um, that very sort of like, like it's, you're very aware of it as surface, you know, and even I feel like Jim Rugg, who by, by switching and having such a different tone to the flashbacks, you know, gives it a, you know, it's, it's, it is that sort of, um, Jam comic that they're talking about, but unlike, uh, Prophet, where it's like sort of separate strands that, you know, are sort of all connecting together, there's a little bit of an intimation that what you're getting are different, different truths, I suppose, of the narrative, right? Um, oh, I, I, I
1: didn't, I wouldn't say that at all. No. In, in, uh, Captain Victory. Mm. You, you think it's, I think that's, it's, I mean, yeah, I think it's more different realities. Mm-hmm. And, and so what we're getting is a different artist for each
0: Captain Victory. Yeah, right. Right. One for the so flashback, I don't, I don't think, right. I don't mm-hmm. think they're
1: necessarily uh, comparing truths, quote unquote, as much as, well, not of, just for the flashback, but for when Ulysses comes in, mm-hmm. There, there's something outside of all of the Captain Victories. Mm-hmm. Then you'd... Uh, I oh, know that is it's all doing with three artists. For some reason I thought there's another artist in there. No, I think I think the, the next artist totally jumps right. in. Yeah,
0: exactly. you mm-hmm.
1: You're totally right. It's Nathan
0: Fox is everything else.
1: I'm totally wrong.
0: Yeah. Ignore me. That's totally fine. No, 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 no. It's it's totally cool. Well, and I think one of the things that I thought was both potentially I guess my only problem is is then in the last third of the book there's kind of this idea of um Casey bifurcates the narrative. Uh, at least he, there's two possible captain victories that get sent off into two different space times, um, possible space time references. And I found that's where, that's where my hand wringing kind of started in part because I felt that we only, we see a, a, a dash of one and just a sliver of the other. But the dash of one, which suggests that one of the possible Captain Victory clones ends up being, you know, a young kid in New York in uh, I, I actually don't know my history in terms of because they mentioned Mayor Beam, which is a very explicit temporal reference that I didn't bother to dub, double check. Um, are you are you typing it up because you're so ahead of this?
1: No, not at all. I was actually um sending a message to my lovely wife about something.
0: <laughs> uh Let's see. He was – okay, so Abraham Bean ends up as mayor of New York from 1974 to 1977. So it's this one possible Captain Victory is a young kid in New York at its shittiness, shittiest. And it's very interesting that Casey is – how do I put it? S- I suspect he's playing with the Omega, the unknown um, premise. Yes. And, right. Right. Yeah. And which I thought we'll see where that goes. But part of me is like, kind of like, like it could be great or it could be kind of, um, we'll see. Well, no, words. no,
1: that, that's just it. It, it there's a, one of the most frustrating things about this first issue is you, I really have no idea where it's going from here. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that just in plot, although I don't, mm-hmm. but in terms of like, it could end up being amazing or it could end up being horrifying. Yeah. 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 And, and I it think... literally depends on the execution because there's right. a lot of potential in this first
0: issue. Right. But absolutely
1: no signifier as to how it's going to turn out.
0: Right. Right, exactly, I mean, and that i and it and it is, and I think this is where again the fact that my feelings about Joe Casey run to the he has more i feel more he misses more than he hits for me, but also you know for people who are looking at that, they should know that is a general tendency i kind of am not i'm not down with Casey i've never met him personally, but the secondhand interactions are such that I'm like, I don't, I don't want to know, you know, so we'll see what happens. I really want it as somebody like I paid my money, I want to come back next issue. I would like it to succeed where what happens is he takes that Omega, the unknown premise and goes a little bit farther with it than just where you know, not just where Steve Gerber and Mary Screens went with the original, but also there is, you know, a very significant redo that um that was yeah, done by Ferrell Delrymple, Jonathan, Le- Jonathan, Jonathan Letham. Yeah. yeah. And That's Jonathan Lemon's collaborator.
1: It reminded me very, very, very much of the Letham redo more than the Gerber Screens original. Yes. Well yes, absolutely.
0: Absolutely, um,
1: and agree. that that was weirdly telling for me. And again, one of those reasons where I, I'm like, I think I'm excited, but this could also go horrifically off the rails really quickly, right? Well, Do you know what I mean? Because yes. there, there was such a specificity—I specificity, mm-hmm. can't even say that word—about um, the Lethem redo, right? right. Like it, it was very much a comic, as much about nostalgia as it was about what it was ostensibly about, um, and hmm. I've. You don't think so? You don't think it was an incredibly nostalgic comic? No. Well, no. Honestly Oh God. I yeah, I yes. If that then you and I are totally different. Uh, well, okay,
0: let's put it this way. There that. there is the nostalgia of it, but especially towards the end, um, you know, there's a very interesting thing going on about franchises and analogs. Uh in the last two issues of Omega, the unknown that make to me that make the redo entirely worthwhile, you know, because well, I'm, it is... I'm
1: not saying that it's not worthwhile. I'm right. just saying that it's something that is, uh, very, uh, very interested in expressing its debt and love for
0: the original and for the era in which the original was created. Y- I okay so here's my problem I both want to agree with that and yet it could well be that my frustration in some to some extent is the frustration to which lethem as a very as as a an extremely accomplished talented literary author can't just nostalgia like I'm sure what he's say, what you're saying is right is that he is re, is doing nostalgia but in many ways what I thought was frustrating about Omega the unknown was the way in which he and his collaborators because he co-wrote the series as I recall which is he nice.
1: did and I totally can of remember <laughs> exactly
0: recording. and I feel it's actually really really worth pointing out because in the end at the end of the thing they have a uh, discussion between the two writers about their memories of Omega the Unknown and what they were trying to do and honestly it was one of those situations where i found Letham's uh collaborator uh his experiences with Omega and also what he wanted to bring to it more closely paralleled what i wanted Letham is an incredibly intriguing guy um, and I feel his essays, his essay on Jack Kirby is, is a stunning, stunning piece of work. And some of his shorter fiction I find fantastic, but I also find that on his, um, his literary fiction, like I really feel that Fortress of Solitude is a really interesting, like, um, very in- intentional, uh, f- kind of fumbling of the ball. You know what I mean? Um, uh, that-
1: I'd, I'd just like to point out, while you're saying this, I'm looking up, and it, uh, according to the internet, Lethem wrote it by himself. Which I'm convinced is wrong, but I cannot find any reference to a co-writer.
0: Really? Uh... Oh, no,
1: wait, wait, there, there's one. I okay. finally found the cover of the uh, of the collection, and it says a name, but I can't read it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a very see. small oh, cover. Oh, yeah, you're right. It
0: is a very small cover. Let's see here. Um... Uh, yeah, it's so small. It's John yeah, exactly. with like, them, it, with like and really dinky. B- like <laughs> it almost yeah. Phil, all right. Is it in the description? Oh my god. Well, I hope that guy's it's, it's, okay uh, with uh, how Carl Rusnak. Carl Rusnak. Yes, that's right. His buddy Carl. <laughs> that's right. <laughs>
1: Wow, all that work just get poor Carl Rosnack. Also, Carl, you need to better PR man because I was looking through so many references
0: that yeah. did not even mention your existence. Right, exactly. And I thought that it was incredibly – it's worth throwing in because I really did. I was like, oh, right, Carl – and he is a character that uh, – character. He's an actual person, but Lethem has <laughs> talked about you know? him. Very specifically, yeah, he might not be, but if so, Lethem has done an awesome job seeding this imaginary person through other essays that he's had writing about Marvel comics. So, um, yes. Anyway, anyway Solitude, to go back, I you and I really liked
1: Fortress of Solitude. See, ah,
0: first half to two thirds of Fortress of Solitude, I thought was great. When you when you flash forward to him as an adult, I find the book. Um almost reprehensible. Now Whoa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let me let me Whoa. use the, let me, the soft shoe language there. Yeah. So it's a little bit, again, for people looking for context with me, I'm the sort of person that actually, as much as I appreciated the um sort of uh, metatextual shenanigans of Infinite Jest, I still finish the book more than just a little bit pissed that what Wallace was trying to do by not explicitly completing his narrative, I understand all the reasons why he felt that he didn't want to do that, but I thought that they were bullshit. Similarly, what I think is interesting about Fortress of Solitude is, is that, um, lethem in the second half of his book, where his protagonist has grown to an adult is that you he is a schmuck and it's, it's kind of, it's very important to let them since so much of the book was very close to autobiographical that when the second half of the narrative picks up that he does not allow himself the, the mercy of sentimentality upon himself. And so in fact, he's very merciless in the way that he, ...picks apart the character he... ...and I think is very... um, ...deliberately harsh... ...in the way that he approaches... ...the characters... ...what's become of the characters... ...and the characters' narratives. And yet... ...I thought that the reason why he did those... ...were not to serve the strength... ...of the narrative... ...ultimately but was a bit of a cop-out so that he could keep himself safely entrenched in the world as a unflinching literary stylist, so to speak, you know, rather than someone who is willing to commit to the narrative, you know. Now, I, I'm aware that there are narratives. One of my favorite stories is hearing about Dorothy Allison, who crafted Bastard out of Carolina, and her original ending because she had gotten so close to the, the her life in talking about it was the story ends in this rosy glow in which the mother comes in and saves her two daughters who have been suffering horribly under the hands of their stepfather. And the editor went like, this is the wrong ending for this this is not even tonally right or consistent it just doesn't jibe with everything else that you've said it doesn't it doesn't work you know and so i'm down with that but i think there is something where the flip side is true where a narrative for whatever reason has to move to you know it, it if you're not happy with it moving to a place uh, like a happy place where you've crafted a world in which strong fantasy elements can be in place, um, moving it to an ambiguous place or moving it to an ambivalent place. All those things are fine. But I really felt that what Lethem was doing was kind of a uh, face saving. Oh no, 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 no. Don't worry about me. I'm not a sentimentalist and I'm certainly not one of those big phonies. Who's going to talk about, you know, how awesome I turned out as a result of it. You know, a horrible childhood can make you a little bit of a horrible person. And believe me, I'm kind of a horrible person. And I, I thought that was, um, I was also not fond of the fact that all of that transition to horrible person took place entirely off stage. And I, I thought that that was, um, I just kind of found, I just found Fortress of Solitude, like the first to be so breathtakingly brave in the first two thirds or three quarters and then kind of cowardly in the last quarter in a way that's coward, cowardice disguised as actually the sort of like, no, 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 I'm, I'm being, I'm being unflinchingly honest, you know?
1: Interesting. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because part of, honestly, part of me is like... Jeff, are you not just upset that he turned out to be an asshole because you felt so close to the character when he was the kid in the 70s? Like, are you projecting yourself on And then you didn't like the harshness because you felt it was a commentary on yourself in the last third?
0: Well, I, I think that that could be um, argued. I mean, or it could be one of those, like, oh, no, look at me, I turned out fine kind of things. But honestly, one of the things that I enjoyed about about Fortress of Solitude was by the the very exact specificity of of how Lethem presents the protagonist situation is a I don't know I mean I I think that that is, I think that actually is a very good point Graham. Uh, I, uh, but also, You're and like, maybe but it's not true. No, 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 Jeffrey no, 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 no. I,
1: I, but it's <laughs> interesting idea that we just hear you collapse like this. Headphones right. just hit the table and you yeah, run away. <laughs> <laughs> look over there. <laughs> Jeffrey, Don't the look room. at me. I, I,
0: I think that. um Okay, so. I'll just answer that with another anecdote, which is for a very brief period of time, I dated a woman who was absolutely crazy, um, but very funny, very smart, very entertaining, and also just nuts. And one of the things that was relatively interesting, as is what's useful sometimes about very crazy people, is they tell you very much upfront about what's going on with them or what's going on, what has gone on with them. So, we actually went and saw the movie Dolores Claiborne together, which is... I don't know how, why. It's not like I was a huge Kathy Bates fan. I don't know what about me was like, hey, let's go see the... I think probably I wanted to see it because I think Jennifer Jason Lee was in it, which as always is like... There's there's like entire lives that have been lost by something just as insensible as like, you know what? Maybe this is the feel-good Jennifer Jason Lee movie that I can take my day to, right? So... I went, we went to this, and so I was with someone who had actually endured, spoilers, a tremendous amount of childhood abuse at the hands of a parent. And.
1: Jeff, did you know what the film was about?
0: You know, kinda? Like, I don't know. What? <laughs> You know, she, she knew too. She was like, yeah, let's go see it. And I mean, we both were. I mean, if you think about it. And the thing that I thought was kind of interesting was afterwards I was like, uh, so you didn't like it? And she's like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Life is terrible. Who cares? You know, and I really have to say that there's kind of that weird zone of there are times when people when people say that and you think they're being callow, or you think that they're just being like whatever and then there's times where actually where I feel only someone so close to the material sort of has can't the can't right write it to it off. Yeah. yeah exactly
1: like, like I I lived through it and this is Cheapening my experience. Well, that, not, that even, not even cheapening. She just, was,
0: oh, yeah, she was just holo, bored. Hollow
1: compared with the real thing. Yeah, yeah.
0: exactly. Hollow compared with the real thing. Like, honestly, because you know, and her stories really did have a very specific sort of humor to them. You know, and or that could, if when properly done, heighten the horribleness to it, you know. So she was oh, actually yeah. a pretty... Sounds
1: like what you're saying. Yeah. Right.
0: So so there could be that factor of me being like, yes, I was so close to that kid that the fact that he turns out to be an asshole. I'm perfectly, absolutely fine. I have a similar problem for, uh with the adventures, of, amazing adventures of Cavalier and Clay, where again not that anyone makes a transition from being wonderful to an asshole in fact everyone's kind of awesome all the way through but there's like this chunk where i sort of feel like both letham and uh shaban looked at their outline and were like oh fuck like this was supposed to be the first third of the book and i'm like 400 pages you know tears out the the remaining like 10 pages of their outline is like okay let's get to the end I really felt that there was a way in which, to me, the transition from somebody who is tortured in their childhood and the ways in which they forget that childhood at the risk of basically just becoming, you know, a dink is, I think, really rich, purposeful material, especially in the sense of, you know, in the context of so much literal fantasticness in, in the first two thirds of the book. The way in which you turn your back on it just to be able to to because you can't handle the pain that came with it. I think that's fascinating. And maybe Letham was like, yeah, that sounds fascinating to me too. I just there's no way that I'm going to spend the hundred and eighty pages of this character in in their freshman year of college and you show the way that those switchers flip off. I just feel like I can get that. I can get where maybe that was his point where he was like, I can't go any farther down this road. I just know here's me and here's me. And here's these two parts again with Cavalier and clay. It was like, Oh, he, you know, here's Joe Cavalier doing this. Oh, now he's up in, you know, the fucking North Pole in his yes, court, fortress of yes. Holiday. You know what that, I mean? That, that's
1: the point where everyone was like, what is this book?
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Because <laughs> for the huge chunk of it, it's so fine. But then when it makes that jump, it's like n- n- you did not you didn't you didn't complete the dots and it's not like you'll even have to draw us a full picture, but the zone where, when you fade out and when you fade back in, it's, it's like, I feel like, you, you know, it's that thing of like, they did all this hard work on all this other stuff and had all this fun. And then when they get to the section where it's like the really hard work, they're like, fade to black. Then we fade in, and it's the North Pole, you know? And I, I just, I'm like, I can't give them full marks for that. And sometimes it's all the more heartbreaking when the first two-thirds of it were truly, truly great, you know?
1: I will grant you that, <laughs> You know what's so great? Mm-hmm. Like, we never even completed talking about Captain Victory.
0: Oh, yeah, we totally didn't. Uh, we,
1: t- yeah. we totally just got horrifically, horrifically... Right. right of the beaten track. We did. Uh, well, it, uh, hopefully, fruitfully. Sh- shall, shall we just leave it as it's uh, I Like, I ultimately was in favor of it and enjoyed it. Yes. But it just, it suggests so much future frustration. Uh, yes,
0: that, that, that is that true. It's,
1: it's one of those things where, like, I, I enjoyed it, but, I, you know,
0: I'm not even sure I can wholeheartedly recommend it to people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I know what you mean. Well, uh, for me, let's put it this way. Again, it's one of those classic. Like, if it was two ninety nine, I would totally people tell people to get it because the art is is great. It's really beautiful in parts. Um, at three ninety nine, and with it becoming a little more narratively risky, I'm like, eh, you really at least pick it up and flip through it. I think, I think, I think it deserves a chance. I think that it's, I think it's. Um, Casey is, for me, is right on the threshold of becoming accomplished enough as a writer on his own that, that, that even if he does end up going down very derivative paths, it may not be as frustrating or disappointing to me. And if he doesn't, if he goes somewhere new, it could be incredibly enlightening, you know? Um,
1: I, I, it's, it really, it's one of those things that really could end up being just amazing. Right. But right. also has such potential. Yes. To yes. be just embarrassing for everyone involved.
0: Yes. Now I should mention one of the things because I feel like I have all these little delightful pairings. Did you see the first issue of Nightworld that came out this week from Image? No. No. Oh, uh, I God. don't
1: even I don't even know what Nightworld is. My first thought was it was uh, Nightbreed, Night the boom comic. What is yeah, Nightworld? Yeah.
0: Nightworld. Um I was incredibly lucky because I watched it. based comics on, based experience. on the 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 books? No. No no okay. no. The, it's basically Nightworld based on Jack Kirby's The Demon, the Sandman. And maybe a, a slight dose of his stuff from the fifties. It's Adam oh McGovern. I, I,
1: yeah, I just looked it up.
0: Yeah. And Paolo Leandri and Paolo Leandri is, is an artist in Italy. Um, he and McGovern apparently worked together on another project, Dr. Id, and then eventually came back, did this, kickstarted it. It is Kirby looking as hell. Like it is the most enjoyably, um, Kirby derivative work since Tom Scioli was, was doing maybe all the way back to myth of Oedipus. Like it is very much night world looks like, I mean, it is just, it is very much designed to be a Kirby book. Um, The idea behind it is there is a man who has uh, sold his soul um, to basically aid the, the, his lover has become a ghost who haunts his own house and in exchange for trying to find out what has happened to her, he has basically sold his soul and turned into a demon and his, he is, he seeks the soul key, which of course is used in quotes that. of Well, it should be. Yes, exactly. You know, no mortal can hold it, so I went beyond. I bargained with some bad people. I became this, and I promised them something I once dared called a soul. Your kindness is a candle in my voyage through the night, but I cannot long accept companionship or rest. If you grant me what I seek, I'll take away the danger my presence brings. And this character's name is Plenilunio, which is... I guess Italian for a, a night lit by the full moon. So you've got, you've got the devil in sweatpants. Oh no. You've, you've got his, his evil emissary. Who's wearing like a track suit with like uh devil's tails on the, on the bottom of his feet. You've got a femme fatale uh, with a demon hound called Lotus. It's, very very over the top and it's very much in a sort of um it's a kirby pastiche but kirby pastiche from that weird supernatural hero era that neat thing yeah, that yeah, he dips into yeah. incredibly enjoyable to me but it's also like it's one of those things where it's an interesting comparison and contrast if if people sort of want to see the kirby thing but they want to see it used and manipulated toward quote-unquote new ends, definitely point them to Captain Victory. If they're kind of like, yeah, but I just want to see something that has like that Kirby elongated torsos and people just flying right at you out of the frame, go get Nightworld. It was really enjoyable. It's also $3.99. Or if you like both, like I did, Get both. They're an incredible match. Graham McMillan, you should hunt up that first issue. I think I, I'd be curious to, to like, I, I
1: honestly didn't even know it existed. And then looking at it now while you were talking about it, I was like, this looks amazing.
0: Yeah. And this is one of those things of like, I would like to pat myself on the back and say that I would have picked it up because that Kirby cover is, uh, that cover is pretty Kirby derivative, but I was very, very lucky that, um, what happened was that the Douglas behind the counter was like, Jeff, I think you would really like this. And push. I think you hat. like Kirby. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm. Hmm. Yes, I don't know for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hey, talking
1: about new things that came out this week. Did you read terminal hero?
0: You know, I purchased terminal hero and I did not get to it in the, in the midst of rushing through all my other purchases.
1: Uh, it's very Peter Milligan. Uh, it's very 1990s Peter Milligan as well, Ooh. which is kind of nice. Because, yeah, know, Milligan has a tendency sometimes to go very, uh, mainstream, mm-hmm. but his mainstream is very dull. Yes. Because yeah, he yes. just sort of turns off all his own weird fetishes, but doesn't turn anything else on. <laughs> yes, exactly. do no, you know what I mean? Like, so you have yeah, like, no, this no, 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 no. soulless book. It's a perfect uh, way to describe ter- it. Terminal Hero feels very Milligan. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with it is I think the artist is wrong for it. Oh, and so yeah. you you have this uh, it, it, it's a mix that doesn't really work because the art is consistently undermining the writing. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, and so again it, it's a somewhat frustrating book but the high concept is um a doctor ha- finds out he has uh, cancer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: His friend says oh there's an experimental treatment let's do this. And it's turns him into a god essentially uh-huh uh but because it's milligan he's he's amazingly fucked up like it turns him into a god but the only things that can stop him going completely insane is that if he just goes to see prostitutes and, oh, wow. uh or or else like he just kills people because he's thinking about killing them he doesn't realize that he can't control his powers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. type thing hmm. um and so it's, again, it's got a lot of potential to be great or go utterly off the rails.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Like, r- r- a great potential to both. I don't know if you remember Minx, the Milligan book from, like, 2000. Oh, of with course. Phillips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Which, again, started really promisingly and just did not go anywhere in its short lifespan. Minx
0: I mean, was my vote for the prez of the late 1990s, you know.
1: <laughs> was it really? I thought it was 2000s. Is it 1990s? Was it early 2000s? I thought it was late.
0: Oh, no, God, I'm going to send you off again, aren't I?
1: I, I am going to look it up. Sorry, everyone. Okay, great. That's um, right. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, that's whatever. No, no, no. Maybe um, you're X right. Was Cause was I guess I
0: was working behind the counter. 2003?
1: According to Comic Vine. No, you're right. 1988. Sorry, 1998.
0: Hey, there we go. Yeah. Hey, hey. <laughs> it's the broken glass. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um. Yeah. It's, it's very flashback Milligan, but the art is not right. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd I'm mm-hmm. super curious to see what you think about it.
0: Yeah, I, it's interesting. As soon as you said it, it's like, I'm like, oh, I'll have to dig into it. And yeah, I can see it. It's tough. You know, Milligan is a guy who, um, you know, it's funny. He works so well with, like, when he's in his weird mode with, I think, you know, quote-unquote lush cartoonists. You know what I mean? Yeah, Milligan really needs good art, is yeah. the thing. Because yeah. Milligan
1: with bad art is terrible.
0: Yeah, he needs he needs an additional. He it just can't it you just kind of can't be representational, I guess, with him fully or something like you need the. I think what happens is you need the extra level. I remember one of the things I've appreciated about all of my favorite Milligan works is you know of course with stuff like Shade or Enigma, the art just becomes you know beautifully florid. But even then, even at the very least of it, there is. Really good, strong, like, body language. Like, I remember that yes. in, in like, my favorite parts of Human Target, for example, you know?
1: Well, what's really interesting is Shade is a great example of this, because Shade had guest artists who were just not up to, like, Chris Bagel.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the quality drop when a guest artist came on mm-hmm. would be astounding.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, there was
1: a point, I don't know if you remember, where Colleen Duran was on there. And she's not a bad artist, but she was just not right for that book. Oh, yeah. And I could see where she were, like, would not be keeping up. There was, up, like, yeah. three issues where it just did not work. Mm-hmm. And and the book, overall, took such a nosedive. Mm-hmm. It wasn't mm-hmm. just like, well, this art isn't working out. You were suddenly aware of all the problems with Milligan's writing. Because mm-hmm. Milligan is, in no way, a perfect writer. Oh, yeah. he is, He has very specific interests. Mm-hmm. And God bless him. Narrative thrust is not really one of them,
0: right? Right. And
1: so when you don't have some, if we don't have an artist who's willing to provide some form of pyrotechnic to make up to the fact that there is not really much
0: story, right? I feel you, that way really actually about like kind of like Brian Azarello in a way. You know, Azarello for frequently is very weak. On like sort of the scene to scene or, you know what I mean? But he's usually working with artists. That's why, like, I felt like a hundred bullets. I was at a certain point, I was like, I feel like the majority of this is Eduardo Rizzo. And it could very well be at a certain point, uh, Azarello was like, I'll just, there's no business that I can think of for these characters that's going to match what Eduardo Rizzo is going to do. So... You know, I've just let him do it. But yeah. there were times where Eduardo Rizzo's throwing so much stuff into the, into the background or, or little bits of business taking, going on that I'm like, oh, wait, there's almost really nothing going on in the, in the foreground.
1: You know? Exactly. Uh, yeah. I, this title has been totally carried by the art because mm-hmm. the, the writing's not bringing anything that the art's not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. Um, similar to Terminal Hero, I you probably didn't uh, pick up the first issue of uh, Josh Valkov's and Matt Trianos, The Devilers, which is the uh, the other Dynamite Creators Unleashed titles so far.
0: Oh, uh, no, I did not. I did not. Oh, Jeff, you should. Mm.
1: Um, the high concept is enough for you, I think. Yes. Um, it is it, it's the Avengers of Exorcists <laughs> dealing with hell
0: coming on Earth. Okay, so actually, here's a thing that's really funny, Graham. I for whatever reason i i i I love the seventies as everyone knows, because it's you know it was where it was a squalid little petri dish where I was you know raised. but I have to say, I generally find comic books with exorcists boring for some reason, it is like a big go- to like remember when Jeff Johns had his Exorcist comic through image? No, Jeff Johnson X was coming through. Yeah, totally. You know what I'm oh, talking I,
1: about, right? You like I thought, Not even not in the slightest.
0: All right, hold on. Let's see. Let's I, make didn't sure I didn't even know
1: Jeff Johnson had an image comic.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is back before, I think this might have been before Green Lantern Rebirth. I don't uh, Hold on. Uh,
1: right. Let's see. I, oh, the Possessed.
0: Yeah, The Possessed, right? So. Uh,
1: fictional of X was sponsored by the Vatican good for you I didn't remember that until 2000 uh, 2003 through 2004 yeah uh Liam sharp provided the art
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and well, and yeah so yeah
1: so okay yeah so
0: I, 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 they sound similar but
1: this is good
0: uh-huh. <laughs> well okay well so interestingly enough I picked up the other 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 exorcist comic on the stage on the stands which is um uh Robert Kirkman and Paul aacket as the outcast oh the outcast yeah how was that Okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where it really depends on sort of, well, it's, it's, a, it's a two-stage thing, I think. First stage is, um, weirdly enough, even though I haven't, <laughs> I still haven't gotten through all four issues of it, because of Abbe's interview with John Sable? Uh, Mark Sable, I ended up picking up all four issues of Graveyard of Empires. And what happened was I've still, I've read the first two issues of Graveyard of Empires, maybe two or three times through. And Paul Chetta's Aziceta, work on that, I'm probably fucking up his name, is great. So I love this guy as an artist. His work to me is just, It's really strong, kind of reminds me of sort of Cliff Chang's work in the sense of that weird mix of, like, like, I don't want to say cartoony, but, like, falling on the cartoon design-heavy side of things while still drawing, uh, like, Drawing from a well of kind of ordinary folks. Oh no, yeah,
1: he's he's got a uh, he stuff really reminds me of uh, Jean Paul Leon
0: as well. Yeah, Jean Paul Leon, exactly, and and a great comparison too because I feel like Leon similarly um, works brilliant with like a like a flat color palette. So yes. so The Outcast is a gorgeous looking book. I picked up the first issue. I mean, I and I think it was like a huge page count. It might have only been two ninety nine, and I'm like. Okay, well, I'm going to pick it up, and if nothing else, I'm just going to love looking at it. And it's totally true. Oh, you know who else it actually reminds me of? Aziceta actually also reminds me of um Masicelli from Batman Year One era work. You know, that sort oh, of... Oh,
1: I, I wish. His stuff's a little bit less uh fluid yes. and a little bit busier in terms of line work. Oh, yeah, I yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I I like both a lot, but Masicelli's Year One stuff is still, like, to this day some of my favorite superhero art that ever, has ever been done
0: ever I agree I agree but I also think that that sort of um, I, I just think that if you like that work this stuff isn't going to top it for sure but I can see it's like an entryway so anyway in any event so the first issue of it is very much I, will, I have to say as a dude who has read like 120 Souda mod issues of The Walking Dead and still still not off the fucking Walking Dead train, um, m- my cynicism about Kirkman's abilities as a writer, you know what I mean, is is such that because I read I don't know the first twenty or thirty issues of Invincible and I've. I find that Kirkman tends to be – well, let's just say that a story set in a zombie apocalypse is about the level of subtlety and nuance that Robert Kirkman, I I think, is really capable of bringing to his stories generally. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but one of the things that really struck me about the second issue of the Outcast. So, the first issue is, in its way, interestingly enough. Here's a kid who is sort of, um, kind of almost a quasi-agoraphobic shut-in in his young twenties, who was involved in some sort of exorcism incident, and in this small town, he basically sort of chance encounters the priest who was part of the exorcism who actually needs his help because there's basically another possessed person. And so he kind of entreats the guy to help him. And what ends up happening is, is that there are inferences that there is something that is special about this guy and that, because of the events of a decade ago in which one of his parents ended up dead, he is nobody in the town trusts him or wants anything to do with him. And for the most part, he is similarly in the same boat and the priest who is actually a vuncular and gets along with everybody, of course is undergoing some sort of private crisis of faith. First issue sets that all up. There's some demon spitting, levitating, like it looks like the the guy has some sort of special super quote unquote power when dealing with the possessed in the second issue. What I thought was especially interesting is the way in which Kirkman, again, not with any degree of nuance, but in a way that I found really pleasing uses the concept of exorcism and possession, demonic possession and possessed children as a very uh, weird way of talking about the cycle of violence and abuse that can happen basically in the rural underclass so that that the people who are possessed or that, that, that it turns out that the our hero has a very complex relationship that it may I It was several weeks ago, so I don't remember if the situation was he and his mother were both possessed, if his mother was possessed and he helped with the exorcism and as a result the mother died, or if the mother died as a result of his exorcism, I don't know. But there's another person who gets involved who's like the stepfather at the time, who comes back into town and it's very clear that he was physically abusive with the kid and he has his own. So it's literally sort of the same way that like Robert Kirk- Kirkman unsubtly has someone yell out like, we are the walking dead. The idea that everyone has their demons um, is gloriously unsubtle, but between the combination <laughs> of the art and that it's less a situation in which, because it is always like, oh, the devil's urethra is coming into the planet Earth. You know, it always amps up into Ghostbusters without the laughs. And I just, I never find that, I find that deeply uninteresting. So maybe the devilers has more laughs and is more like Ghostbusters. And spoiler, I didn't really like Ghostbusters either. Or. <laughs> wow. Wow. Talk
1: about gaming the system, there, Jeff.
0: I know. I was really. I was like, oh, I'm setting, I'm setting Graham up to fail. I really got to give him the the heads up on that. So
1: and that's good because it's not very like Ghostbusters. Although I would say it has more of a sense of humor, or perhaps more of a sense of the absurd. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because it is essentially exorcists with superpowers, Jeff. Okay. Which you know tickles my funny bone. Maybe not you, because you have something against exorcists, <laughs> right? Uh, but yeah, it, it. I find it a very funny, although not laugh-out-loud comic. Like, mm-hmm. I... I uh, very much like uh, Archer and Armstrong for me, which is a comic that is amusing, mm-hmm. but not necessarily a laugh-out-loud comic. I, I like right. the... The... The, to- the whimsical tone or yeah. something. Yeah. And, and, and Those sense of whimsy. Is, yeah. I, I'm not sure whimsical is even the right word for the devilers, but it kind of is. Mm-hmm. And again, I might be totally reading in the idea that as has a sense of sort of maybe Judge Falkoff is meaning all this sincerely, but i definitely read it as tongue in cheek if
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: if he, he doesn't mean it sincerely i'm horrifically misreading this comic <laughs> but um but also i'm misreading it and liking it so that's fine with me well there you go
0: right exactly okay well that's uh, i don't know I'll maybe, maybe it's not for it. you then
1: cuz i I'm not, I'm not sure it is maybe wait for the inevitable first collection that'll be 999
0: Well, the inevitable first collection, or if I keep my fingers crossed, I sort of half suspect, because Dynamite's launching a lot of this stuff, and this is a horrible thing to hope. Part of me is like, oh, hopefully they'll have, like, some sort of 99-cent sale on Comixology. Yeah. Actually, I'm sure they will. because the, yeah, because
1: they they normally do. They they yeah. have a lot of sales and they put a lot of books in there.
0: Right, exactly. And and like I said, from talking about the the Six Million Dollar Man season six, I'm kind of torn because I'm like, I didn't like it enough to continue to buy the issues at full price, but but I would but like if to a sale. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I feel that's You're, not are,
1: exactly helpful. You are the death of comics.
0: I know, right? It really is kind of. Well, this is absolutely not true in any way. But yes.
1: Um, <laughs> I am, right? No. Right.
0: Well, because I I just happened to know like last week, just yesterday when I went into the comic book store, like
1: you you spent a fortune, didn't you?
0: I did again. I did. I picked up I picked up uh I picked up volumes 1 and 2 of uh let me get it out so that I don't fuck it up. Um what Did You Eat Yesterday by Fumi Yoshinaga, which Vertical published, and which I'm, I'm. it's interesting. I'm so glad that it's out. Uh, do you know what it's about? Um, no. Well, I'm hoping it's about what someone ate. It is, actually. This is the thing that's great. It is a, it is ostensibly, uh, What Did You Eat Yesterday is about the relationship between uh, two gay men, who are uh, living together in a relationship, one of whom always does cooks for the other one essentially. And so it's a cooking comic where the person, where you see the person cook the meal, like, and he talks about like, Oh, I bought these scallops and blah, 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 blah. And so each, each installment is a recipe, you know, Uh, spinach lasagna or, um, uh, uh, you know, Mitsuba, uh, with salmon and burdock seasoned mixed rice, you know, like, um, beef and celery oyster sauce stir fry. And then the, the, that, so that's the cooking part. It's very much strongly a cooking comic, which I'm always a sucker for. And I love Fumi Yoshinaga's work because she just always has, um, a really wonderful depth of character. Um, you know, her, some of her previous, uh, work, Flower of Love, which is not about cooking, uh, and then the pastry one where it's like three gay guys running a pastry cafe. Uh, the, the name of it, I cannot remember that was three volumes. I just, I really loved because her sense of characterization is so great. And it's interesting in What Did You Eat Yesterday in that, um, I don't know if it's like an early work for her. I don't think so. I think she's continued to do it, but what's fascinating is, is that, uh, her characters are, the guy who does the cooking is an incredibly cost conscious, Lawyer and his lover uh, is a very flamboyant hairdresser. So the cook is basically not out, the other one is. And what I find fascinating is the number of stories that have absolutely no drama whatsoever like it's literally one of them the biggest ongoing drama in what did you eat yesterday is that the lawyer is a penny pincher and therefore is constantly shopping based on how to keep their food budget under something like 2300 yen a month or something i don't don't remember the exact amount it's got to be twenty three thousand yen i think because everything's everything's hundreds of yen so there's a lot of him buying like like There's Right before you and I started talking, in fact, I just finished the chapter in which he buys celery but is stymied as to what meals that he can make that feature celery before the celery goes bad. That's the closest you get to the thrill of drama in What Did You Eat Yesterday? Uh, And I bought two volumes of this. There's three more, I think. Um, I also ended up buying and have not even cracked the spine on it. The Wrenchies by Feral Dalrymple, which I'm assuming, considering your first-second connections you've read or have, or... Uh, is I it have first
1: second? Be, it's first second, then it's being shipped to me as we speak.
0: Ho ho ho, look at you. So by the time we talk next time, hopefully we'll both have read it. It's a thick book, and Dalrymple's work looks awesome. Amazing. Um, hopefully
1: by the time we talk next, uh, not only will we both have read it, but I'll have talked to him about it. Oh, wow. I'm I'm actually being mailed, theoretically, uh, to prep for an interview with
0: him. So Mm. so we'll see. See, you're the one destroying comics, Graham McMillan. You are, because you're just providing news and interviews and context and publicizing meaningful work. I'm just buying it at a heavy discount. To be fair...
1: I'm also writing about set reports from Batman vs. Uh, Superman, which I had to do three different days for Hollywood Reporter
0: this week. Oh, my God. Hey, so this is beautiful. Let's talk about that a little bit, and then let's talk about Guardians of the Galaxy. My, uh, okay, what what are we talking about with Batman versus Superman? Is it just me, or does it really seem like, unless DC gets incredibly lucky... Could be kind of a ghastly washout, I think. It's just you at this point. Okay. Well, that's uh right.
1: in in large part because, like, definitely, if you go by social media, sure, DC. Yeah. Like, why are DC even bothering to make a film? <laughs> um, but like, when you look at the amount of money Man of Steel actually made, mm-hmm. and you consider the fact that like it's two fucking years until Batman vs. Superman comes out. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I suppose that's right. It is two years. I think that's actually a really good. Point. They're, they're I'm so not used think to think it. thinking of it being
1: their biggest. Their biggest problem is that they're just go- people are going to be sick of the film that it comes out. The fact that there's so much publicity for a film that isn't coming out for two years, I think, really suggests that people might just be done with it by the time it does. But then again, I say that as someone who was pretty much bored of Guardians of the Galaxy before it came out, and then that was like broke records on Saturday.
0: Well, it's kind of interesting, actually, because that is – we'll move back to that, actually, I think, because that's the second part of the picture uh, for me, which is – because I went and dashed off and saw – I was – I feel like I was literally the last person – Edie and I were the last people on Earth to see Guardians of the Galaxy, and we saw it last night. It's been less than a week. It's stupid, isn't it? like Kate and I saw it on Tuesday
1: night, mm -hmm. and I mean, I had – utterly spoiled for me before it came out. Right. right. Um, in part for my job, like mm-hmm. the one last thing I didn't know, like, are we going to spoil the film?
0: Uh, the yes. Podcast? Everyone just, I'm sure. Cause literally I've I, not talked to a sure, single person I've, this week who hasn't seen it, but yeah, just in saying, case. I'm sure you've all yeah. seen it.
1: Yeah. yeah. We'll skip now. Cause we're going to spoil it for you people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the one thing I didn't know was the Howard the Duck thing. And yes. I got told that
0: on the Friday morning. And you spoiled it for me by the way. Um, oh, did I? Yes. But it's not your fault, though. What happened was the piece, I think, at Hollywood Reporter, where you talk about it. Um, Which I, I very personally
1: didn't. Like, I, I even got them to cut out the one thing that gave it away in the headline. Well,
0: you got them to cut that out. But then, um, instead on, of them it, putting, it something- the mentioning the fact that it was Howard the Duck after the jump, they, it, it shows up on the first. So when you scan the first page, no, like, does it doesn't. Yeah, it, well that at least was... it did then. Uh, yeah, so no. it spoiled it for I was, me.
1: Uh, really? That's really annoying because I made a, like, I really tried to make sure there was nothing to give away. Yeah. Which I, which I uh, sort I of appreciate. Really, really, really annoying. Cause yeah. yeah, cause originally like the lead was something like, hey, how are the duck huh? <laughs> 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 And I was like, no we can't. People will go insane. If <laughs> you're literally just, how about that duck, huh?
0: Yeah, um,
1: exactly. Let's see. I'm I'm looking at it now and seeing what it says. Load up, load up. But yeah, so I had everything spoil for me, like, right.
0: on the fucking day. Well, you know, so here's the other thing that I think is fascinating about Guardians of the Galaxy that we can talk about is, like, with the exception of, A, Howard, Howard the Duck pops up in the post-credit sequence, B... Uh, Thanos appears in the movie, which I didn't see Thor dart, Thor 2, so I have no idea if he appears. No, no, there,
1: it, it's, it's, no, it's, it's Thanos' first appearance in this Right, Avengers. Right.
0: I, I think the spoiler that Benicio del Toro was actually playing the collector just as they said he was going to play the collector, that was quote unquote spoiled. But for me, what I thought was fascinating, like, in a, having read, like, maybe the first three issues of Abnett and Lanning's Guardians of the Galaxy on Marvel Unlimited last week, um, was how little of the movie like the thing that surprised me how little like the Guardians of the Galaxy comic the movie was. Well that that may be chunk that may <laughs> be part of it. That may be part of it. And I had only read the first three issues, so I was kind of more or less okay. It's, but it was more the idea of how um what was surprising was the fact that the bits that I thought, that I thought were funny, I suppose if someone because that's the other thing is everyone talks about the soundtrack album. And so the soundtrack being such a key, crucial element to the movie was sort of spoiled for me. So I knew it going in. And then, in fact, at a certain point, I'm like, wait, this sort of drops out. All of which I'm trying to say. What impressed me with Guardians of the Galaxy was apart from the various things that were more delightful than I thought, was how absolutely unsurprising the rest of it was. Like It was it was surprisingly by the numbers, wasn't it? Yeah. It was by the numbers and not even just in that like, oh here's a threat and then we're gonna you know, that whole classic. No, everything like, they're about dead, it, but they're like not all
1: dead. all of the fight sequences you've seen yeah. before, like right. everything was was a rote Marvel film. I was really, really surprised that people love it so much. Like it's good, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, but it's absolutely nothing new. Like the, the the new quote unquote is things like Chris Pratt being goofy. Which well, I which
0: I yeah, which is new for, which is, I guess, new if you new for never Marvel. Yeah, exactly. New for Marvel, but not at all oh, but, new but, for. But, like, new in general, there's nothing new in general in the film. Well, I mean, that's okay. So, for me, a classic thing is uh, you know, you do it too, because I know, of course, your wife has remarked on it. There are times where, if you put your head to it, or not, you know, you can basically see where the narrative is going to go far in advance, right? Oh yeah. Here's a, so what stunned me was like, here's a classic example when Rocket Raccoon is laying out the plan for the prison escape that they're going to have. He's like, I need this and this and that and that and this and this and I need that guy's leg. And it was like, oh, okay. How's this all going to come together? And the thing that I thought was interesting was I, in the back of my brain, the, the very first thing is like, oh, okay, he just wants the leg because he thinks it would be funny. That's sort of the, it's like the easiest take yes. on the situation, yes. and yeah. so consistently, it was
1: an easy guy continually. The film yeah, goes for, for the easy guy continually. Yeah,
0: there is not a lot of, apart from the occasional sort of surprise of, oh, you didn't think that. You know, there were parts where you are surprised because you weren't expecting a joke at all. But whenever there was essentially a setup, it was the. It it was they took the path of least resistance in every way. To to the extent to which I was one of the big the biggest surprises for me of Guardians of the Galaxy was how much goodwill I had for a movie that was so that did not try in things that you consider to traditionally be very important things to to have in movies like plot or like having a scene that has like. <laughs> A reversal <laughs> or a, you know what I mean? Like, no, the, I can tell you right now, the most surprising thing
1: about Guardians of the Galaxy. And bear in mind, like, I had the Howard the Duck reveal ruined for me. Otherwise, that would have been it. Right. Um Was Nebula rebuilding herself. Mm-hmm. That was it. Mm-hmm. By mm-hmm. which, I mean, the point where she's, like, beaten up to shit. And, yes. like, you see her body basically, like, untwist. Yeah. Um That was it. That was yeah. it for surprises. Yeah. The other surprises were things like, oh, I thought I'd hear more of that song.
0: Right, right. There was that, or I will say, and this is weird, like I had one or two, much more than, or maybe at the same level, sort of the same way Avengers had one or two little bits of, you know, deep cut fan service. There is the point where, I mean, I appreciated the fact they threw in nowhere or whatever the damn, I thought it was a, what was a great fake out was how they didn't refer to it as the head of a celestial and I'm like,
1: oh, yeah. oh. but you see the celestial. But then right you on. later
0: see a footage with Kirby's celestial, and I just about fucking wet myself. Like, I was like, oh my <laughs> god, that's a fucking. Oh my god, like it just, it was like, huh, huh, huh. I palpitated. And because we had done the whole Michael Korvac saga, I thought that it was hilarious that the collector's daughter is Corinna in that storyline. And then the the serving girl who tries to betray the collector and gets burnt to a crisp is the same name as his daughter in the Michael Corvac saga. I was like, weird. See, that's
1: that's too much for a deep cut, even for me. I didn't even get that.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I, that's so funny. I figured you'd pick, pick it up just because, again, it was like, ah eh, just a couple of weeks ago. It was like, huh, that's sure? weird. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I can't even remember that shit, Jeff. Come on. And that adventure stuff goes in one ear and out the other. <laughs> It's so funny. I actually had someone quote something on Twitter, which I thought was really great, which was, you know, a, a part of our conversation that they like that they attributed to me. And I was like, no, wait, Graham said that, didn't they? Or did he? Did he? I don't. <laughs> they saw
1: said the other day in something Twitter. They're like, I thought we Graham said this was hilarious. And I swear to God, I was like, I didn't say that.
0: Right. Exactly. I'm just like, shit, are we... Uh... Uh, anyway, and I, at least you only listen to them once. I listened to it twice, so I, I would know. Anyway, so there was a couple of parts of like really deep kind of fan service for me. Um, I was surprised by, I mean, other surprises that I thought were somewhat unpleasant were, um, like how, well, unpleasant isn't really the word. Cause like overall, it just seemed like a pleasant movie that, got by on some Mysterious Element X or a combination thereof. Oh, the Mysterious Element X is, it's charming. It is. Like, it's a it, charming even, movie. Even, yeah. All the
1: performances are charming. Apart from yeah. Lee Pace, who, can we talk about how much he was eating the scenery as oh, Ronan my... the user? You know how what? could anyone take that guy seriously? How could he not just break out laughing every single time? They're like, okay, can you try and be intense? And he's like, no, but I can stick out my chin. I, and they're like okay, okay. You know, then. The, the great part was
0: I was okay what? with it. I actually, oh,
1: I, I thought he was hilarious in all the wrong
0: ways. So I just, thought I saw all the bad guys were terrible. I thought Nebula was terrible as well. Oh, Nebula was. Well, okay. So there's there's let, there's various problems. I think for me, I admittedly was overwhelmed by how much Ronan the Accuser looked like the comic book character but also looked very effective. Like, he looked good, you know? He, to me, like, whenever I looked at him, even the stuff that they did with the the paint on his face, you know, to give him, make him look like that traditional Ronan the Accuser look, but different, looked fucking awesome. So Ronan the Accuser is kind of a weak spot because he is part of... I thought the art direction in Guardians of the Galaxy was at points incredibly phenomenal when it wasn't kind of sort of shit. But the parts that were fantastic, I thought were fantastic. And so he worked for me, his set design worked for me, like when he's on his set, his ship, like I think actually what's great is, weirdly, did you feel like Guardians of the Galaxy was, like they should actually just... Paramount should pay Marvel to release Guardians of the Galaxy as Star Trek into darkness, you know, because it was, (laughs) it had so many of the same elements, but did it without shitting, without being horrible. Like the spaceship crash when Ronan's spaceship like hits the space city was awesome, was really well done. And I mean, I don't know, maybe you would feel differently, but I was like, even something like Rocket Raccoon, where I'm like, huh, the CGI texture effects are kind of shit, but the animation is surprisingly good. Like, I was kind of like, oh, Bradley Cooper. Like, there are times where I don't feel like, like Guardians of the Galaxy suffered, I felt, in there was never a scene in which there were two genuinely good actors sharing the camera at the same time. But I always thought that there was at least one actor was good and the other one was generally effective, except when they were shit. So, like, Lee Pace as Ronan the Accuser, I don't really know about his acting, but he was just, I mean, he was generic. Marvel suffers from generic villains at this point. Let's be honest. It
1: it really does. And let's face it, Thanos is really underwhelming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, I would. He's. I mean, that yeah. was really like. Never mind the fact you know in his what two appearances so far he's actually ended up forming super teams instead of like <laughs> right you know his goals being met, but that scene was was terrible. Oh, it was really bad. It was like I I shady. didn't come away thinking oh he's the big bad guy at all. Right, I came across me thinking he's a purple dude that no one respects.
0: <laughs> well, it's not even like that he's—he's—he's he's,
1: he's, he's, he's got a foot fl- fl- chair, and all of his minions are like, oh, fuck you! I could, I could just take over."
0: Yeah, well, maybe. Well, there's that, but I just also, yeah, there's there's a there's a number of things that are just being done very wrong. I I think, and you know what? Okay, Josh Brolin, great. As long, I mean, I guess, but honestly, the way he was saying things, I'm like, ah, he's miscast. Like he can't just, he's, he will, he is physically imposing. Yes, he has a physicality that does represent a certain degree of danger. And he's, but I'm like, I don't feel like Thanos is from Texas, you know? So when he's talking, there's a few points where his G's just get dropped just a little bit. And I'm just like, yeah, no, I just can't see it. I mean, and this is the thing you and I, Graham, I know we split on this. Thanos is a beloved character for me. So maybe it's like, you know, those, uh, Indians who suggested that when, um, Sir Richard Attenborough was making Gandhi, that Gandhi be portrayed as a ball of light rather than an actual physical actor playing him. Like, maybe that's how I feel about Thanos, but I, Josh Brolin,
1: uh, second Fantastic Four film where Galactus was a big ball of smoke.
0: Oh yeah, that was that was such shit. That was so bad. Ah, oh, that second Fantastic Four movie. Oh my god. So you
1: know, let's let's just say that Josh Brolin arguably better than a big bowl of smoke. Well,
0: sure, exactly. I mean, Richard Attenborough's thing was like, "I'm making a movie about Gandhi, not Tinkerbell. you know. And it's like, I get that. I would. You have to portray Thanos. You need someone that just can't be all 100% CGI. So yeah, throw him under there. But I just kind of had that thing of, like. They're going to but, have to do some interesting stuff to make Thanos interesting. And Ronan the Accuser was deeply, deeply uninteresting until you get unless you want to like put forward some weird Israel Palestine thing, in which case nobody wants to talk about it, and it becomes like too interesting. You know what I mean? So
1: yeah, I the villains of the film were bad. The it, it was a film that got by in charm. It's it's. Yeah. I really, like, that's just it. It's a really insanely flawed film that I can't believe everyone's like, it's the greatest thing ever! Right. I don't, I literally don't get it. I, I but I'm also convinced I saw a different film from other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alyssa Rosenberg had this piece, uh, in the Washington Post about how, uh, about Kamoru being called a whore mm-hmm. in this. Right. And she writes about how all the other guardians, like, respond in horror to it. And when I saw it, I was like, they don't. There's literally no time. Like, Gamora herself has enough time to go. That's enough of that. And then there's a fucking explosion.
0: Right. Well, because the thing jumps up and then he and yeah. then he guns yeah. her down. And and yeah. And right. No, and I I'm know. Just like,
1: wait. Like people are. There's so much goodwill for this film that people yeah. are seeing a different film. No.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably. Probably. I'm, well, I mean, it is, it is, we don't have DVD screeners. You go by your memory. You, you do things to fill in the, the dots and the blobs, you know, it's, uh, you know, my brother who saw it and, he, and of course, like within the first 12 hours or something compared it to the fifth element, which is, I think kind of a good choice in a way, because fifth element is a movie that is incredibly derivative and technically kind of dumb, uh, but gets by, of course, a lot on its charm and is genuinely beloved by a lot of people. So yeah. here's here's my thing. I think, and this is why I sort of brought up Batman versus Superman, is Batman v Superman. Um, Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice. Yeah. That is full title. <laughs> yeah. In the case of Batman v Superman colon the Dawn of Justice. I feel my thing is is that um what Guardians gave that that everyone needed, like you said, is charm. And Batman versus Superman looks to be uh, very much... Char- in charmless. Charmless. Plottingly charmless. And I think that Guardians seems like a game changer in the fact that, as far as I can tell, most people were like, "I, you know... I I want more '80s tunes in my in my spaceship films. I would have been happier. Like it's the only time where honestly most of the people were like, "Yeah, I would." I like Bollywood's ready to take over. People were like, "I really wanted more musical numbers or longer musical numbers." And yeah. I'm frankly with them. You know, I really was. <laughs> there was a lot of that I, that I thought. I,
1: th- I think that I really do think Batman Superman is going to be fine, utterly fine. Um, I think weirdly, the films that are going to suffer because of Guardians are Avengers Two and Star Wars, because I think
0: they come first. And you've gone? Are you there? Son of a bitch! Stupid! Hey, you're back. Yes, I'm back. Accidental mute. I didn't go anywhere.
1: Okay. Um, so I'll say it again, and you can just edit this out. <laughs> I think, I think the films that are going to suffer most are going to be Avengers Two and Star Wars. Yes. Because they come next. And I, and because they won't have the quirk, the, the the quirk, the little quirk
0: the Guardians did. Um and I I really think Really? You I think you think that a movie written and directed by Joss Whedon who saw this movie put together is going to like short us on the quirk, huh?
1: Yes. Uh because Marvel Studios were shitting themselves about Guardians before it came out.
0: What do you mean by shitting themselves? There was worried.
1: A, a, allegedly, shall I say? Yes. Yes. Okay. They, there were there was lots of concern that it was it had gone too far, mm, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. hilarious to me because it's a fucking Marvel movie. Do you know right. what I mean? Like, there it's not that different at all. Mm-hmm. It, oh, it it's, it's not all yeah. the same points. Yeah. Um, but apparently, there was genuine concern mm-hmm. that this film had messed with the formula too much. Mm. Interesting. And so, yeah, I genuinely believe that Avengers is going to be Avengers two is just going to be like Avengers one, but bigger. Hmm. Um, and oh, put this way, it's it's not going to have the musical numbers. Mm-hmm. It's not going to have the uh hilariously pandering. Oh no, my mother said story.
0: Oh yeah, it's, although it's not,
1: it's not going to have uh, a variation on a talking raccoon or a
0: dancing tree, right? Well, no, 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 exactly. Both of which I enjoyed tremendously. By the way, yeah, what I, I thought was amazing Groot in particular, I thought was great. Was it what? Which which part did you think in particular? Groot. Was great? I thought yeah. Groot was mm-hmm. yeah. perfectly handled, like kind of amazing. But I actually really liked Rocket. It it was not I liked a... Rocket so much more than I expected to because mm-hmm. I
1: don't like Bradley Cooper.
0: Mm-hmm. oh yeah but exactly I, I, exactly yeah. i was like yeah and there's I, gonna be no and way I,
1: when in the trailers i was like oh god that voice just doesn't seem right at all yeah. but i completely yeah i completely bought into him in the film yeah
0: they 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 that was Although that was the sound mix was weird for the film it was wasn't it it was it, it kind
1: of like you could totally t- you could totally tell the voiceovers were voiceovers
0: yes yeah which it was, was which was weird like it was weirdly distancing well eh... I always it's interesting because I I'm never sure if that's a if that sometimes that's a sound mix problem and sometimes it's a weird animation problem, you know. Um I think. I oh no. One of the things that I thought was actually weird was there were times in which um despite the fact cuz I again, I thought I thought the, you know, the spaceship hitting the Nova City but even the Nova City, when it was kind of under fire, there were just a variety of elements that I just thought were aesthetically lovely, you know, which was interesting considering there were other parts where things just looked very shit. One of this, between this and Transformers and spoilers, I saw the latest Transformers movie. And, oh, you
1: did? Why? Oh, yeah.
0: Oh my God, Graham. How could I not see it? Honestly, well, there's a few, there's a few things to admit. One, is, I think you and I both saw the previous movie on, um, Netflix. And once, when, and I was like sick, home with a cold, running a fever, watched Transformers, and it was weirdly strange. But then when I saw Transformers for the trailer for it, I was like, I am going to see that movie, cause it looks, cause it was, I was like, okay, they're not going to, it just looked, how do I put it? It's for the same reason that I actually, loved Transformers the this this whatever the fuck the Transformers toys? Four. Transform no I don't even I see that's the thing that's weird. I don't even really dig the toys. So Transformers Four is like going to a party at a cocaine dealer's house. It's not a sensible idea, but as long as you know what you're getting into, you're kind of like there are things that you can enjoy at a cocaine dealer's party at their house. Hopefully they'll get in their Porsche and drive it right into the pool, you know, and that's kind of what Transformers 4 is like. Transformers 4 is like watching a two, a two and a half hour collection of commercials. It is physically, it is it is a beautiful movie. I mean that in the absolute most honest, genuine sense. There are times where, Like, there's a scene where, like, Mark Wahlberg is thinking his dumb thoughts. And he's, like, standing out on his porch in Texas with the American flag in the background. And there's, like, it's dusk, so there's stars in the sky. And, of course, Michael Bay even throws in a shooting star because, of course, you fucking have to. But it it was literally physically lovely. There were shots of, like, robots falling down buildings in wherever the fuck they end up in in China in the last part of the movie that are gorgeous looking. And I mean it is as a as what we traditionally would call a movie Tr- Transformers is a failure. There's no it's like two movies jammed together so there's no consistent plot. The characters are are Like, you kind of have to snicker when you call them characters. The fucking Transformers stuff. Optimus Prime is speaking gibberish in half the movies. He's, like, coming out and he's making these, like, speeches to inspire everyone else that are horrible. John Goodman's voiceover is makes you want to put a bullet in your brain. But it was goddamn so... It was literally three hours of eye candy. And it was great. I mean, for eye candy. And I kind of felt that way with Guardians of the Galaxy, where I was, like, watching it. I'm like, maybe movies will no longer be movies anymore. You know what I mean? Like, what we used to think of as movies where you saw a story told in visual format, maybe they're just not going to be that anymore. Maybe they're just going to be a sequence of alluring images and someone basically tickling you, you know, for, like, two and a half hours. And... It's kind of going okay so far. I kind of, I like Transformers and I like Guardians of the Galaxy. They are not, they're not quote-unquote good movies, but they were absolutely, completely enjoyable times, quote-unquote, at the theater. The end. (laughs) Jeff, I love your appalled silence. That was just the best. It was like...
1: I, I, I... No, I, I... Ultimately, I agree with you with the exception of I can never agree with you about the Transformers movie. Oh, man.
0: Have you seen the Transformers 4? No. The Transformers 4. I feel like such an old man. Have you seen the Transformers 4? Graham, you've got to see the Transformers 4. It's hilarious. Dude, Mark Wahlberg is playing a genius inventor in Texas. Mark Wahlberg. Wahlberg. One of the things that's great about Mark Wahlberg is he has a, you know, he's got a teenage daughter that's the traditional Michael Bay, let's make you feel uncomfortable with the female casting part of the movie. She, he, his whole thing is like he had his child too young, but he doesn't want to view her as a mistake because, of course, she's the best thing that ever happened. And of course, his mom's died, and blah, blah, blah. And of course, she's at that age where she's in love with. The Australian guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. who's actually a stand-up guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. right,
0: exactly. But he's a stand-up guy and blah, blah, they learn to bond, blah, 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 horrible misogyny, blah, blah. The thing that's great is there's a picture where Mark Wahlberg holds up a picture of himself with his wife holding their newborn child. So it's 17 years earlier they just have Mark Wahlberg turn his baseball cap around backwards for the photogram. They don't even do that thing of like Mark, well Mark let's... Wahlberg hasn't aged. Come on. He hasn't. He hasn't. And they take advantage of that. That's what I mean. Like <laughs> if like if you if like Mark Wahlberg's bicep is uh is an achievement and Michael Bay knows it and he he all but rubs your nose in Don uh, Mark Wahlberg's armpit and that's what I'm saying. He knows what you want when you don't even really want to admit that you want it, just like any dude with cocaine does. He's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. You want to have that guy from Silicon Valley run around and be an asshole? Here you go. Like, and he was great, by the way, the guy whose name I can't think of who really deserves a lot more attention. Um, <laughs> T.J. Miller. T.J. Miller is getting tons of attention. Like every stage of pandering, Michael Bay panders very, very successfully in Transformers 4. Completely worth seeing because even no, when it's my, Michael Bay insane... panders
1: well, I'm stunned. Yeah, I, is dude... this your way of telling me that you're going to go see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles this weekend?
0: No, because he didn't direct it; he just produced it. That guy. Wait,
1: oh, can, can I tell you my hilarious Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle story? Please. Um. So you might have seen like a couple of weeks ago, uh, Paramount Australia released the Australian poster for it, which is. Uh, He's coming out September 11th in Australia, and the poster featured the turtles jumping off a building with the top of which was exploding. Uh huh. And so you see the turtle like in there, there's an exploding high-rise building behind them, and it says September 11th in big letters along the <laughs> top. <bottom. laughs> Understandably, people got upset at this, right?
0: Oh, um, man. So I'm writing a
1: story about the Hollywood, uh, for the Hollywood Reporter about this. Mm-hmm. And the director of the film is called Jonathan Liebsman. Mm-hmm. So in the story, I refer to this film as Jonathan Leibsman's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. I then get a phone call from his assistant who's like, listen, I totally understand what you're doing, but can you please just call apartments?" Parma's Ninja Turtles shit. this one
0: time? <laughs> oh, my God. Just this one time. Yeah. Yes. No offense, <laughs> but please don't so wreck rad. this man's it career was... forever.
1: Yeah, basically. Oh my God. It was so great. And I was like, sure. Like, he, he didn't have anything to do with the poster. Why not? And I thought it was so funny because, like, she was completely aware of how ridiculous it was. Yeah. She yeah. called it. She was like, listen, I know this is crazy, but
0: seriously. That is great. That is, um, uh, I yeah. I was so
1: great because because one was of course I get an email first of all and it's like hi I'm the assistant for Jonathan Leavesman uh, can I have your phone number we should talk and I was just like flinching going oh right. shit this uh, is gonna shit, be one of those it. times where yeah. I just get shouted yeah. at and it's actually just like listen this is ridiculous we both know it but
0: <laughs> that's
1: hilarious
0: uh, yeah so there you go
1: but yes it could be wonderful you never know
0: I I what, am teenage mutant um, ninja turtles. Yeah. No, it'll never be wonderful. <laughs> no, I, so okay. So here's the thing. Like, I'm serious. I when I watched that transfer because I I watched the Transformer preview like four fucking times. The scene where well, it's like, Transformers four, Jeff. Well, yes. Ha ha ha. So there's a scene where, like, they pick up, like, a fucking schooner and throw it... Oh, it's that magnet. It's the magnet sequence. There's a sequence where there's, like, a fucking... The Decepticon ship or whatever is turning on and off this big magnet. And so everything's floating up in the sky, and then they're turning it off, and things are just dropping. And and it's, it's... How do I put it? It is completely dumb, but it is done with a commitment to it that, like... As much as I appreciated um, Guardians of the Galaxy, which I did, it also made me appreciate how good Steven Spielberg and George Lucas were in their day. You know what I mean? Because, like, didn't you think that the the spaceship fights in Guardians of the Galaxy were kind of, like, total shit? Oh, no,
1: completely. I, I thought all of the fight sequences, spaceship uh, and the hand-to-hands as well, were all... Terrible.
0: Yeah, the only the only action sequence that I was willing to give them like quasi credit on was, and it's it's kind of eh, was the the initial encounter in the Sky Mall of the future where everyone's taking the, the turns. The one's literally a chase, yeah. Yeah, where it's sort of a three way, four way chase. That was the only part where I'm like, oh, there's a little bit of cleverness put in there. But even the opening sequence, which bites, which is. I mean, it's a. It, you can't say that it rips off the opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark because it's a, it's a, you know, parts of it are clearly meant to be a super homage to Raiders of the Lost Ark. And yet it really had me think like, oh my God, yeah, Steven Spielberg really does make this stuff look easy and it is not, it's not nearly as easy as you might think. You know, the yeah. whole like, you know, get the ball, things go wrong, run for the ship. There's guys. Things happen. You just get out by the skin of your teeth, kind of thing. I was like, huh, yeah, not not at all easy. I got to give Spielberg, Lucas, because especially Lucas, like some of those spaceships were fights were like. I was like, that's just that's just like throwing gravel at a screen. You know what I mean? That was not filmmaking at all. So, <laughs> but it, you know, all of these things now are. I, you know, how much is he,
1: how much has gotten really involved in those things? How much mm-hmm. is that is just pre up the Wazoo? Cause he's like, and then, you know, the script is like, and then the spaceships stuck the other spaceship and he just
0: hands it off to someone and is like, listen, make it awesome. <laughs> well, it could be, and it could be, but I mean, like, and again, you've got fight coordinators and things, but those, yeah, those fights were, those were the most anemic series of fight, apart from that one that I liked. I mean, for Christ's sakes, that fucking thing with Gamera and... uh Go- Sorry, Gamera. That would be awesome. Gamera, Godzilla, <laughs> and Thanos. No, with Gamora and, uh, and Amy Pond was the worst. That was... That literally felt like... That, that was... I went on for so long. Oh, my God. I've never seen it. That was the first time where I felt like wow this is an entire fight scene created with the commands control c and control v you know what i mean like it was just oh
1: but i mean those characters in general were amazingly flat weren't they
0: oh they were they were pretty bad i mean honestly i think that zoe saldana isn't is a one of those people where i thought her acting was on the not so good side, but Karen Gillan had nothing to do. Part of it is she's watching people all the time, but you don't know anything I about her. Her motivations change all over the place, and and it it was just terrible. It was terrible. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. It, when it, she
0: says something like "Goodbye, sister," I hated you least of all, or whatever. I'm like, oh, well, that thanks for the signpost to where something interesting. You know, should go, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. amazing.
1: But that's just that, like the point where uh, Ronan's like, I'm going to kill Thanos. Do you have a problem? She's like, I will help you. Right. And you're like, of co- of co- okay. <laughs> right. Like uh, am I actually meant to be upset because you have said maybe two lines before this. Right. Like, exactly. Surprised. And also her sisters also betrayed Thanos. So right. you know yeah. maybe that's a family trait.
0: Well that's it. Well, of course the sisters aren't really sisters, but yeah, but then they're also sisters. So I don't know. Like Thanos' sisters, like maybe they're backup singers, because they're not or his daughters, like is the daughter of Thanos. Like oh they're not God, really that, daughters. Right? Yeah. Like when Thanos like Thanos appears in what, Avengers 3 or
1: whatever. Yeah. He comes out and he's like, I have the infinity gauntlet <laughs> and like three. Women just appear right and go Infinity Gauntlet? Oh,
0: that would be great. Because <laughs> believe me, if ever there's a character that would look awesome in a sparkling purple rhinestone tuxedo, it is Thanos. What? Well, no, that if
1: look. he was, if it was a purple tuxedo. He'd look. What like did I say?
0: Did I say what I say?
1: No, you said purple. But I'm saying yes. he is purple. He would look like he was naked. That would not be a good look. He's wearing a purple
0: jumpsuit, Graham. He's, wear, he's, he's like wearing. He's wearing a blue jumpsuit. He it's- is purple. Uh he was barely purple. His suit looked purple in that movie. I'm sorry. Uh...
1: Jeff, <laughs> I was going to say though, yes. Like by when I ask people for questions on Twitter, and we've been going for like an hour and fifty minutes, and we haven't even got done any yet.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: we have to answer a couple of questions.
0: Well, let me just say, Graham, that's all your fault, despite the fact that I spent the majority of the time talking all the air out. Of the no, no, it's totally my, my fault because
1: I'm the one who asked questions without even telling you I was going to do it. But we have to answer some questions. Yes,
0: agreed. Let us answer
1: some I questions. Have to. Uh, okay. Uh, there are people who are wondering where this happened. Uh, you're obviously not following at Wait Watt Podcast on Twitter because that's where he did it. At yes. Wait What Podcast on Twitter, join it, love it, it'll be exciting. We never tweet on it. We but never. We try, we, it's kind of a
0: shame. We're trying to get better at our social media presence. Yeah, and by we, I'm, I really tra- mean Graham, who's awesome.
1: So. I'm. I'm trying to tumble more as well. And Tumblr is yes. going to get
0: really, really weird. I have
1: to. I have to I, learn. It's great I so told far. Jeff that I was going to just start tumbling random music and comics and yeah. jeff was like go so
0: please yeah, give me yeah wish. In, in fact everybody go to that tumblr and dig down to find the jaws 2 link to the jaws oh, 2 comic talked, right? <laughs> that was great that is the best seriously everyone if you ever wanted to see gene Colin and tom palmer draw hook jaw get on it it's In color, it's awesome. There's a link to somebody who scanned the whole motherfucking thing, and I really, I want, I, I just, I want to have their children. So that sounded creepy. I don't know. Did that? Yeah, yeah, it did. (laughs) Uh, um... All right. So, So fire questions.
1: questions. Are you guys going to talk about the Guardians of the Galaxy post credits thing?
0: Oh yeah. Are Are we? I don't. I feel like you have opinions on it. I'm weirdly opinionless. Uh, my opinions
1: are weird. Like, I don't know why I have the opinions I have. My mm-hmm. opinions are, I wish they hadn't done it with that character. I totally see why they did it with that character. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, spoilers. It's Howard the Duck, everyone. Um, I, I mean, he makes sense. He was created around the same time. He's mm-hmm. created by Gerber, who had a long run doing the original Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, right. I can see the links. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of Gerber's history with Marvel over Howard, because of Marvel's history with Disney over Howard, um, it left a really bad taste in my mouth. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I can't explain it more than that. I kind of wish they hadn't done it. Mm-hmm. I, I, they have every right to do it. Mm-hmm. They have every right to do it. I just kind of wish they hadn't. Mm-hmm. And I think it came from a place of love. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just in my brain, it translates into some weird fuck you. And I don't know why.
0: Well, because, because Howard the Duck is sort of a symbol of. You know, it, yeah, but it, I don't. I don't if think if you want to right. shorthand it in the very simplistic version of the bad guys one, it is kind of a the bad guys one moment. You know what I mean? Disney owns Marvel. Marvel owns Howard the Duck. Steve Gerber is dead, like way too young. Um, I thought it was interesting. Did you see that article that someone posted a few weeks ago where they were talking about? their side of sort of Steve Gerber's encounters with Marvel where they suggested that Gerber was actually somewhat disingenuous about his feelings towards the duck and how he handled the duck and blah, 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 blah. I, nope. I pray, I'm, damn it. Shit. Well then I, I shouldn't have, I'm going to edit this part out just cause that, that, that will, I'll have to link to it in my show notes and that'll drive me insane. Honestly, I was kind of like, I appreciated the fact that they, you also had problems with the fact the way they listed the people that they thanked, too, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I
1: really do. Um, mm-hmm. My problems with that is... Uh, actually, no. My problems are with the response to it. Mm-hmm. There's uh, In the credits for Guardians of the Galaxy, there are three sets of creators uh, credited as created by. So you get... Um, Rocket Raccoon was created by Bill Mantlo and Keith Giffen. Drax the Destroyer, Gamora and Thanos, created by Jim Starlin. Howard Throck, created by Steve Garber and Val Merrick.
0: Um,
1: And everyone else gets special thanks. Mm -hmm. And lots of people were like, look at this, they're doing creative by, that's awesome. Look at Marvel being progressive. And I got really upset about that because everyone who gets a creative by credit are people who have either sued or made us think about it. Yes. And therefore, there's probably legal reasons why they should do that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas, like Engelhart and Steve Gann, who created the lead character of the fucking film, gets mm-hmm. a special thanks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Lee and Kirby, who created the bad guys in the film,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, get special thanks. Right. Uh, Stern and John Buscema, who created Nebula, special thanks. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Lieber and Kirby, who, who did Groot, special thanks. Mm-hmm. And so, what upsets me is, it's completely, uh, the Creative By credits are there, I suspect, f- through a combination of face-saving and legal reasons. Sure. As with any sincerity, because if it was sincere, Engelhart and Gan and Lieber and Kirby at least would be given creator, uh, created By credits, because sure. they created the other main characters in the film.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, um, and and I definitely so yeah. get the feeling that Marvel had learned from a lot of the hue and outcry over after the Avengers of various sorts, and therefore worked very hard to make that to to head that stuff off at the pass. This well, I time guess, no.
1: This, I guess this is what I'm saying. I don't think they did. I think when Avengers two comes out, you're not going to see any created by credits.
0: Hmm. Interesting. We'll see. I don't... Uh, because, we'll I, see. because I
1: think if they had actually learned, I think you'd see Engelhar and Gan be getting a created by credit. I no, think the only yeah, created by credits that
0: like, are up there are mm-hmm. the legal ones. Well, well the legal ones or the ones where, like you said, there's there's face saving. You know what I mean? Like, I think there was a lot of face saving in, that, in the stuff that they did for Guardians because of some of the stuff they, they didn't do right in the Avengers. We'll see if that trend continues. I suspect that... The number of people who just had bones thrown at them and there was remarkably less hubbub, uh, negative hubbub on the social media about it, makes me think that they'll continue to do that. It may not do be more than a special thanks to or there might be the created buys for a few other things. But, yeah, but you know, I didn't, think that that's didn't Lee and Kirby get
1: created by credits in Avengers.
0: Uh, well, they did, but uh, sorry, again, didn't
1: didn't they get um special thanks credits on Avengers?
0: Uh, I think they might have. Yeah, yeah, I think they did. Yeah. But so that,
1: that's what I'm saying. I think I think the o- the only difference that Marvel could actually make would be to give them like legitimate creative buys. Well, they give them I mean, legitimate. We, we right. may we may get um,
0: Ultron created by Roy Thomas and John Romita, right. That's unlikely it, but it could happen or we'll see, or if nothing else, it will be a like, Hey, you know, we flew Roy Thomas out to the premiere of Avengers two age of Ultron, that kind of thing. You know.
1: Uh, yeah, but yeah, it, it, yeah. Cause but I, yeah, um, how, you know what I, I mean. Because I feel like yeah.
0: half of what happened was that Jim's people were like, "Hey, what do you think about? You know, when did you hear about Jim? You know, Thanos being in the Avengers?" He's like, "Well, uh, when I went into the movie theater, they didn't tell me about it. They didn't pay me about it. They didn't do anything about it." And of course, Starlin did rattle the cages, and things went a bit differently. I feel like this time around, of course, he was happy as five clams about this. But they clearly also did some other stuff, um, you know, the screening for Bill Mantlo or whatever that I thought was like, okay, well, I'm not going to – I'm certainly going to – you know. I just – I think that it's interesting that you're like, yeah, they did this. And because everyone was so knocked out, it's clear they'll never do it again, you know, is kind of like uh, – I no, see that, your that, point no, that people no, are being naive saying. about why Marvel is doing it. But I – you know – I'm still generally glad that it happened. I guess
1: I'm I'm glad that it happened. I just think that nobody should be patting themselves on the back about it because I don't think they did it for anything resembling altruism. I think they did it for PR and legal reasons. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see them actually properly do it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like sure. I would like I would like Age of Ultron to really have created by credits for all of the main characters and not right. just special thanks. Sure. And. I don't expect to see it. So I, I it's right. not that I think it's a terrible Unless thing. Unless the Supreme I, Court I, I goes think, loopy. Yeah, I
0: don't think, I think, I don't think we're going to.
1: <laughs> that would <laughs> <That'd> be fascinating. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I guess it's not that I think it's a terrible thing. I'm more it of the, I think everyone who's patting themselves in the back and going, aren't Marvel being great, are being naive at best.
0: Yeah.
1: True. Sure. And irritating worst.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, irritating. Aha. Okay. Anyway, so maybe, yes, exactly in that zone of frustration is, I think, where our feelings about the post-credit sequence lie in, in, LA in some ways. Dan Turner has a great question just for you. Oh, really?
1: Jeff, did you watch slash read Altered States before your last sensory deprivation <laughs> tank experience?
0: You know, um, here's a, a horrible confession. I still have not seen Altered States. Ever since really? I was a kid, yeah. I was a kid, I saw the trailers. I always wanted to see it. But the closest I've come to seeing Altered States is uh, I somehow know enough of it to know that AHA ripped off the end of it for the Take On Me video. The end. Um, I, I, I think that's all anyone really needs to know about Altered States. Right, exactly. So, yeah, Flotation Tank, awesome. Hopefully everyone will be excited to know that when I go up to Portland next, my number one goal behind going to the waffle window with Graham is convincing Graham that he should go and do a, a sensory deprivation tank it will never happen oh come it on not, that
1: freaks me the fuck out really
0: a, why it will never happen. oh it, my god
1: it, it freaks me out. it really does the very concept freaks me out jeff man yeah I it's, gotta tell it's you. not gonna happen sorry and i have friends up here who love it but yes yeah.
0: right exactly it's not, it's not gonna happen. wow that's amazing See, I've who was the person who did the comic strip about it? Lucy Bellwood. It was Lucy Bellwood. Lucy Bellwood's strip about it was amazing. And what was great was I had done the flotation tank at least twice before I had saw her thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, man, I wish I had that experience. I never do. I go in there most of the time. I fall asleep if I'm not careful, and I've eaten something too spicy. I sometimes the worst problem I've had to deal with is like heartburn. But honestly. It's just like floating in, the, uh, floating on salt water in the dark, and it's completely great. I keep waiting to turn into Mister Nobody, but I don't. Um, I usually just, at some point, I can't figure out if I fell if I, if I fell asleep and napped or not. So that's about it. <laughs> that's why uh, I think you would dig it, Graham. It's entirely relaxing. Yeah, it's, there's yeah, not a. It's,
1: there's uh, no. It's gonna happen, Jeff. Uh, our last question of the episode, and it's a good one to go out on. Adam Nave asks, I would love to know which comic you each read recently surprised you
0: with how great it was. Hmm. Surprised me with how great it was. You know, I should, I should really know the answer th- this is that.
1: not. This is not a surprise because I expected it to be great, mm-hmm. but um, I recently read the last volume of DC's Spirit Archives, which is all the Eisner stuff post the end of the newspaper strip.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um... And there's just some wacky shit in there that I utterly loved. <laughs> and I, I, I'm I'm someone who's always thought the Spirit is good, but I've never really seriously gone into it, if that right. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and there's just some really great stuff in the, the Final Spirit archives. Um there's the there's introductions to reprints when they were running in like Kitchen Sink when Kitchen Sink was like an underground publisher. Oh yeah. Right, right, right. So you can you kind of have eisner trying to reposition it for like 70s counterculture yes which is just gloriously goofy there's uh eisner doing a spirit strip for the new york times in the 50s uh about uh a new york mayor election Mm -hmm. uh in which he goes to find ebony and ebony doesn't want to grow up it doesn't want to to go with him because it's been 15 years since he last hung out with the spirit and he's grown up and become an accountant Oh, wow. That and, like, sounds fucking awesome. like, things like awesome. that that are just, like... Do you know, but do you know what I mean? Like, there's just... There's things like that which... Like, like I said, I expected it to be good. But there were things I just didn't expect. And I was like, oh, this is just great.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: hmm So, yeah, I really, I really, really enjoyed that. And if anyone, like me, has uh, a good library nearby, mm-hmm. um, The Spirit Archives, Volume 26 is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, it, it's full of... I mean, for the most part, it's essentially covers and illustrations. There's not that many actual comic strips in it, mm-hmm. but the comic strips that are in there are just great and and show Eisner becoming, at least for a part. Everything after like the 80s, he becomes he begins to play it a bit safer, mm-hmm. but definitely the stuff through the 80s, he's so much more irreverent towards the material, mm-hmm. and it's it's just great as a result. Uh, because he's at the top of his game and he's having fun with it, mm-hmm. they, they, so that yeah, really, really, really
0: great stuff. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Uh, what you know? I, was that? Did, we must have gotten more questions than that. Is just that just? Oh really no, we
1: got a bunch. I'm just, okay. I'm just cutting us
0: off. Oh, see, I, I feel I'm like Graham.
1: We started late. Okay, and let's let's keep going then. <laughs> I, but you also haven't answered your question.
0: Uh right. So let me let me list a variety of them relatively rapid fire. Uh I ended up enjoying What Did You Eat Uh Yesterday uh, the first two volumes. Interesting, not as much as Antique Bakery which I adored, but still like ah oh, enjoyable. Um I should say that a really incredibly pleasant surprise considering the diminishing returns uh recently issue 18 of Batman Eternal. Which, um, honestly, there's parts... You're still
1: getting that, Jeff.
0: Oh, dude, I think I'm in for the long run, which is probably going to be a mistake. Uh, Tim Seeley's script has some good points and kind of some... eh, He needs some more work kind of thing. But the art by Andy Clark, again, the art in Batman Eternal is all over the map. And so this is the flip side from that fantastic issue um, a couple of weeks back. Andy Clark is doing um art in a, a sort of very bolandy style you know like just a yeah, yeah, lot yeah. of detail to the faces yeah. and just and really it was just a very enjoyable issue to read i i i just loved looking at it and then the this almost it was perfectly paired with a cover by alex garner that made it look like a um like a like a painted pulp you know, so that I enjoy that tremendously. Also, um, Batman, the Jiro Kuwata Batmanga that has been released weekly by, um, DC, uh, digitally. I've been frustrated because the first issue was 32 pages for 99 cents and fantastic. And Graham made fun of me after the various things that I poo pooed for, for not having enough. <laughs> for not having anything to say uh, and therefore mocked me and my affection for Lord Deathman. Um, in the most recent issue, uh, which is the second part of the Dr. Faceless storyline, and I think this is like, I don't know, is what issue is this? Issue five, maybe? Uh, it's like 27 pages long and it's phenomenal. Uh, Dr. Faceless is... A great sort of manga interpretation of a classic Batman villain in that he is a doctor who is trying to do an experimental surgery, plastic surgery thing. And there's an accident and he wipes his face clean. So it just looks like a big sort of burnt thumb and he basically goes on to be like i will destroy anything that has a face so he goes into museums and he starts destroying like uh you know paintings with faces on it statues with faces on it it seems like a very dumb version of two-face which is enjoyable but in the most recent issue which i guess will be the previous issue by the time people hear it and in fact like a dumbass i didn't what issue is this? Issue five, twenty-seven pages page twenty-seven pages long. There is a surprise twist to the issue that made me laugh out loud in delight. So I thought that was great. Um, and for non-Batman stuff and non-manga stuff, uh, I read. I don't, great is a perhaps too strong a word, but I was very very impressed and enjoyed uh, Hawkeye Issue 19 by Matt Fraction and David Aja. Did you read it, Graham? I didn't.
1: This is the, uh, the sign language issue?
0: Yes. And honestly, one of the things that's sort of frustrating for it, in a way, is that, well, for me, is the fact that I had gotten by on... Marvel Unlimited which I think is the first was when I read it did a, went on a spree was like the first 13 issues I think so there's been six issues since so there's all this stuff that's happened that I've missed but um but in a way what's sort of frustrating for me is there are two or three sequences that have you know that are set with hearing characters where Clint is not involved, and therefore there's just regular dialogue, and the dialogue is charming enough, but it's not as really truly kind of like like really kind of pushing at the corners. In some ways, I enjoyed it more than Pizzas My Business because I felt Pizzas My Business as flashy as it was. Like in part, when I read it, it it wasn't really a story in and of itself. It's kind of the nexus. Of the Hawkeye series, if I understand it correctly. And this was very much more a like, here's a sequential storytelling of people, of a person who is deaf, um, and how they experience language and how we present that in a pictorial format. I thought was the way that we usually have frustrations with Matt Fraction being clever. Um, in the wrong ways, this was definitely him being it being clever in the right ways. I thought it, I thought it worked very well and was quite enjoyable. So, okay, there we go. Um, I wrapped it up. Your 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 mention of Tim Seeley, by the
1: way, reminded me that uh, I'm not sure I'd call it great, but a comic I'm definitely enjoying far more than I expected to is Grayson from DC. Oh, really? DC sent me the first couple of issues, comps, Mm -hmm. and. It's. uh I think what I'm surprised about is it's not grim. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think everything from the like he's pretending to be dead and he's undercover investigating filth it just <laughs> made me think, oh god, I'm not going to like this book at all. Um, and it's it's very much the spiritual successor to Grant Morrison's Batman Incorporated of mm-hmm. all things, uh, <laughs> and also the, also the plot successor uh, in that right. the degrees investigating spiral.
0: Right. Um,
1: and so yeah, I, I was I like this issue starts the second issue which just came out this week starts with um the school for girls that Cameron Stewart did in the uh, end of the first series.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so there's right.
1: there's that level of callback, and mm-hmm. it's I, I'm I'm genuinely surprised by how much I'm enjoying it. Oh, that's so, great. That's good so there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, that mm-hmm. there, that that also uh, fulfills the question. Uh, Jordan Smith asks Hey, uh, It uh, stands to reason current sci-fi barrage of Image will pass. Where do they go for season 2 of the new Image era?
0: Mm. Mm. Uh You know, I feel like I just talked too much this episode. I'll, I'll I'll jump in, but I feel like if it's not awkward, you should answer that first. <laughs> awkward? <laughs> well, cuz you asked the question, um, so, you know. Um
1: I it's awkward because I don't really have an answer. I I don't really know where they'll go, to be honest. I think, to be completely cynical, they'll right. go wherever the next hit comes from that isn't a science fiction book. Yeah, I sort so of feel like that maybe way too, maybe they're right. going to go in sex criminals direction somehow. Right, right. Um But yeah, I think I think that's what it's going to be. I think it's going to be whatever the next breakout hit is will be the next wave of image books. Mm
0: -hmm. Hey, did I tell you, uh, did you read Low? Did you read Low, number one?
1: I did not read Low. Um, I I have a complicated relationship with Rick Remender's work, which basically comes down to I always feel guilty that I don't enjoy it. And so, I'm, I, yeah, I, I didn't want to expose myself basically to more. I don't get it. Everyone else likes it. Do I just suck?
0: So. Right, exactly. Like, well, see, now's your time, because there's been a little bit of a Rick Remender, like you're supposed to feel guilty for enjoying his stuff now, aren't you? Really? I don't think so. I think it's more people being like, what?
1: Reverse racism? <laughs> I'm, I'm offended. So, you know, I'm, I'm not joining in.
0: Okay. Well, fair enough. Ah. Uh... Huh. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think there's a good call on that. I mean, like, maybe if, uh, you know, if Brewbaker and Phillips, uh, new series, like.
1: Fade out? Yeah, the,
0: the fade out, I think. Um, weirdly enough, I think it, cause I remember seeing, like, it's funny, I couldn't think yeah, of the name. Is, yeah, I didn't Br- mean to trick Brubaker. you, but I do remember no. Brewbaker being pissed oh. that it, pissy about the fact that it's called the fade out. Um. I, know, I did, I did see that. Did you? Yeah. yeah <laughs> You
1: scamp. Alright. I just wanted to make you come across as an
0: overcorrecting. <laughs> you tricked me. Why? I need, My a double
1: trick. It's,
0: ah. So, um, yeah. Uh, I, you know, maybe if that sells a bajillion copies, but I think you're right. I think there's a little bit of the, it, <laughs> clearly everyone's trying to make their way with an exorcism comic. So I, I don't know. I, Kind of, like, I feel like people sort of want to do a little bit of horror, a little bit of, it seemed like westerns were big. I don't know. I mean, it would be, it would be, in a way, it would be kind of awesome if stuff was, at least Sex Criminals is a weird, unique, you know what I mean? It's not really easy to say, like, it's a crime comic.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, so with Saga. I don't know. I feel feel like we get these outliers from Image, and they're great, and they see lots of people being like, that's selling. Right. Um, and so I, my fear is that Sex Criminals is going to be the model and you'll, con- we'll end up with lots of people doing like really awkward romantic comedies.
0: We, or, yeah. Relationship comedies. Right. It would be great to um, see whimsical people doing more whimsical books, but they're truly whimsical. Like Brian K. Vaughn can do whimsy. I, whimsy just seems like such a pejorative and I don't even mean it that way. You know what I mean? Like, f- I guess funny. If people can do more, Humor books, I suppose. I don't know. I mean, that how how would you characterize? Like, if you like Saga and Sex Criminals, like I know what you're saying. I I
1: think what's really good about both of them, but mm -hmm. I think what makes Sex Criminals work in a way that, in many ways, it doesn't have any right to work, Mm -hmm. is that it is it's very true to itself, right? And so it's ostensibly a comedy. But then you have things like the sixth issue, which blew both of us away, which isn't a comedy as such. It's a very honest book about depression mm-hmm. that has moments of being funny, right. but is more interested in being true to the emotional experience of depression than it is in making you laugh. Yeah. Um, and so if we ended up with lots of people somehow tapping into that, I'd love it but I don't think that's what happens. I think it's yeah. like if people are going to be like sex was are selling, they're going to be like oh wacky brimping like you know funny variant covers ha yeah. ha ha and it'll be like taking all the wrong things from it. I think whenever yeah. you have a trailblazer, it's always the wrong things that people take Usually. from it. Usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh did, did that... you see that hilarious Kieran Gillen uh thing from the Alan Moore interview about Watchmen in 1988.
0: Oh, yeah, I did. Did you put on the Yeah, where Alan Moore said
1: in 1988, I bet my arse in six months people are going to be dumb uh, with grim and gritty mature superhero comics. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? Earth 2 wouldn't be great. Yeah. Um, Dan Turner has a question that I think we might have to punt on because it's, it feels very, it feels either very big or dismissively small which is what do you see as problems facing anyone trying to design or build a digital comic reader? Do the big companies have it locked up? And the dismissive thing is yes, the big companies have it locked up. Um, I, I honestly think we might have to punt it because I think otherwise we could, we could go on at length about that. It's true.
0: It, there are some things that, that I would actually, uh, we should come back to it because there are, there's a few things that it drives me crazy that there are features that aren't really being addressed in comics readers currently. And I feel like that could be like, it's kind of that thing of like, so what it's just me or else that could be like the big leeway is sometimes, you know, sometimes you, it, 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 you know, usually you have to have a killer app to go with your, you know, PlayStation two or three or whatever. Sometimes I feel like you've got to have the content in order to be able to, to have to make a reader succeed but i also feel there are things that are being underserved that features that could actually potentially make a difference so we'll talk about that next time Yay. uh
1: matt miller asks and again this might be one we'll just have to punt or dismiss with a joke is the api dawson thing to insider baseball and I feel like even just explaining that would take a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're
0: gonna to have to punt. We'll have to do a questions part two next time. Definitely. Yeah,
1: we I, will. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's end on this question because I do want to try and bring it in under two and a half hours, Jeff.
0: I do too. Um,
1: Sean Muske asks, "You already have my question, which is the funniest thing? Do you remember Sean's question that he mailed to us? Isn't it like it's a it's a, <laughs> it's about Howard the Duck, isn't it?" Yes.
0: His question is, isn't it a wasted opportunity that Lloyd Kaufman didn't play Howard the Duck? Now, so what is the joke behind that? I thought that that was kind of amazing, but is it – I don't get – did Lloyd Kaufman do the original voice or, like, had the opportunity to do a voice? Or is it just the fact that it's, like, James Gunn knows Lloyd Kaufman and it would be great to have him do the voice of Howard the Duck? I, I took it. I, oh God, you're
1: overthinking it. I literally was just thinking that it would be funny to have the guy who did the Toxic Avenger do Howard the
0: Duck. Oh, okay. See, where I was like, what's the meta-text of that? You know, so that's probably poor Sean. What is that's... the
1: meta-text? Let, let's look back and see if he did. Yeah, he's not in the original Howard the Duck, so I can tell you that much for free.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah no, it, I, I, I don't I, know. We'll I, have I think, to, we'll to trailer could... it. Which is why, actually, poor Sean, I didn't respond to his damn question in email, and I need to, because, of course, Sean Witzke is, like, one of the best people ever. Uh, but I was like, huh, I don't know. <laughs> that classic, like, oh, man, I can't fake my way through my reply. I don't know how to respond. I so. don't That's admission of ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Thanks for story. that. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it, Graham. That was great. <laughs> Throw me I under admit, the bus. I admit under it, that throwing under the bus just a toxic bus.
1: adventure joke. Come on.
0: Um, I, I'm
1: including myself in the ignorance.
0: Okay. Fair enough.
1: Damn it. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Jesus,
0: Jeff. All right. Uh, so. People, we're
1: clearly coming back to questions next time. So um, at Wait what Podcast on Twitter, um, ask us questions. And we will, uh, I don't know. Punt See, them, uh, faint uh, yeah, I was about to say, or... are we
0: cheating on the that you know people are like other people are paying good money to ask us questions like six months. from Oh, now. they totally are. Yeah. Oh, That's I what put I'm put saying put if you just the... throw open the gates, I'm like, man, we are just totally burning bridges oh, with the. Oh, oh yeah. I didn't
1: even think about that. I suck. Forget that, people. You can't ask us questions apart from people. <laughs> <laughs> I... On that admission of ignorance as well. Holy crap! I really <laughs> did forget about that. Patreon people, I'm very sorry. I really genuinely forgot. Well, you know what? We'll
0: figure out some way to make it right, people. We'll we'll make sure that all of God's children are are served somehow. We'll answer the questions we already have. Maybe we'll ask every to Like, let the Patreon people know they can all ask one question early. Uh, I don't know. We'll figure something out. We're so sorry. <laughs> Patreon people... You can ask questions that we'll definitely answer. How about that? <laughs> so oh yeah, there we go. go on them. <laughs> brilliant. By which I mean horrifyingly tacky, but brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah, I really did forget. I'm really sorry. That that is okay. That is okay. That's I had that moment where
1: you're like, "Hey," I'm like, <gasps> "I can't." say anything. <laughs> You should, totally should have told me. <laughs> that wait until like three hours later.
0: <laughs> Not fucking. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, anyway, Graham, do you do you want to sing us out then?
1: I do, listeners. First of all, thanks for listening. It's it's been a fun time this time. You and us, we've we've had some laughs. We've we've cried a little. <laughs> it's been two and a half hours, almost of, of a beautiful experience that we have shared. <laughs> Jeff, stop laughing. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> You're ruining my mojo here, Jeff. I'm
0: sorry. I'm sorry, man.
1: i just remind you all, uh, that even though I've totally just fucked Patreon people, uh, <laughs> patreon.com forward slash podcasts, still exists. Come, give us money, and Jeff will find some way to, for me to make up for this, for fucking that up. Um, you can also find us, like I said, on Twitter at, at WaitWattPodcast.com. We're online on the internet at WaitWattPodcast.com. Uh, where every week we both do written reviews. Jeff, what is your review this week? I haven't even looked.
0: Uh, I haven't posted it yet. I'm running behind what? again. Yeah, we're going to have to jump off, and I'm going to be writing it tonight and or first of tomorrow. I'm not sure what it's going to end up being. Well, it's always hard on these podcast weeks. I told you yeah, before cause, cause you I was talk about that. And then, yeah. yeah, exactly. So it, it may be very slight, everyone. Oh, and it no, will, no, no,
1: no. Yeah. You know it should be? It should be the thing we talked about in email.
0: Oh, uh, it's in the Jess Fink book. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I will talk very briefly about the Jess Fink book because I didn't mention it this time around. And, and yeah, I don't no, have no. any real clever through line, but you know, yeah, uh, you, as a thing,
1: you'll come up with one. I have a, tr- mm-hmm. I have trust in you. Um, anyway, so we're on that. We are also on Tumblr, which as I said earlier, I'm going to try and update and probably make very weird, oh, uh, great. which is, uh, way what com. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. I think that's everywhere we are, right? Yes. Have yes. I forgotten anything? No, I think I think you got it oh, all right. Oh, you know what I'll say, what all the podcasts say, and we never do. Mm-hmm. Uh You can find us on iTunes as well, and please leave us an iTunes review because apparently that helps out things. That uh, is true. We, we have some great stuff.
0: reviews, but they are they are somewhat oldish. So if anyone has not contributed recently, um, please, please, that would be awesome. Uh, and yeah, I think actually there's a few things that we've been meaning to do that a little bit of upkeep that. We'll keep you apprised yeah. as it rolls
1: forward. We 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 will we will get back up. Uh including the RSS feed uh for the blog which people have asked about. It it's it's being worked on. It's just being slow because uh we're slow right now.
0: Yeah, we're slow, um, but we'll piece that together and the process. Promised Al Kennedy that I would throw us on that stitcher. service stitcher. Yeah. So so hopefully you'll be we'll be coming soon to Stitcher to a Stitcher near you. Um
1: um but otherwise we're trying our best, people.
0: We are. Oh Graham, here's something I wanted to ask you. The Dark Side War the Dark Side War coming from DC Comics and Jeff Johns. Has I was about to say us out, you
1: know, Jeff.
0: Oh we're were bringing this up in the last moment. But no, ask away. Is is it is Jeff Johns stealing the war back uh from Marvel? Oh you
1: mean with Trinity War and
0: the Dark Side
1: War? Mm-hmm. Uh, we can only hope because if there's one thing superhero comics needs, it's
0: more wars. Yes, indeed, more war. War in our time. Uh, okay, that was kind of it. Cause I was kind of like, huh? I guess he's sort of like they're like hmm, they're not going with the crisis crises anymore. He's he's going to try and take the wars from them. Well, we we've, we've had a final crisis, Jeff. Well, that is true. I guess you can't really do a crisis anymore. Now it's just under wars. Or. War. War goes
1: bang. Nobody will get that joke apart from like maybe two people. See, I wasn't
0: gonna. I figured you were gonna be doing the whole like, "What's it good for?" But all right.
1: Okay. No, no. I was doing them um, in the day to day. The the Chris Marr show from the nineties in the UK. Uh, someone does a a poem about war, which literally starts off with them going, "War goes bang, bang." <laughs> 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 the best. The best.